Caffeine rage? I, I, I did an adult? Yeah, I changed immediately after you said back to the old grind on what I had in my mind, because that was much better. Anyways, on today's show, we will of course be discussing the games that we have played this week. Serial swatter Tyler Barris was sentenced to 20 years for the death of Kansas man shot by police. Bioware doesn't see the value in articles tearing down Anthem's development. Valve focuses on larger artifact issues, not shipping updates in the immediate future. We'll have our weekly community corner where we discuss game night and next week's plans, as well as a Steam discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you? Uh, doing all right. Uh, had a, an eventful day. Got all sorts of uh, new banking stuff, so you're very lucky uh, to have a podcast this week. Indeed. Although, like I said before, if uh, if you wanted to take the night off, that's fine. I could just go play more Satisfactory. Hint, hint for my big only game this week. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, well, but, you found uh, your new crack. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. Uh, is that leading us into games we played? I guess we could just go ahead and jump in. I <laughs> yeah. guess I could go first, uh, too, if you want me to, but uh, it doesn't. Uh, if you really want to jump in, you can. Uh, but, uh, you know, I did have a slight rant to lead you in. You could go ahead and go first. We'll stick with tradition. You go first. Okay. So, uh, well, my rant's going to be a little bit later. First, we have Door Kickers Action Squad. A action shooter, tactical shooter, uh, or shooter game? It's... Weird. And I'm not convinced it's bad. It's just one of those games that is definitely not for me. Because whenever I want to be you know, going into a, a more tactical uh, strategy situation, I don't want it to be you know, very fast-paced action platformer. And that's what this is. It's it's a very weird departure from the original Dora Kickers which was a top-down, it was real-time t- tactics, but it was real-time with Pauls. Sort of, uh, you know, how FTL uh, did their uh, sort of thing. Where you could uh, pause and uh, fill out uh, your... It was essentially the tactics mode or the planning mode from the original uh, uh, Rainbow Six series. Uh, sort of like how Frozen Synapse also did it. Uh, Door Kickers also did something very similar to that. And the thing is that to go from that to an action shooter while still having a very, very quick uh, kill times and very tactics oriented, you know, there's definitely a, a, a way to approach this level uh, intelligently. And then there's the gun ho, you know, kill everything route. It's just so off-putting to me because of that. That I didn't spend a lot of time with it because, well, for one, it feels like it's more focused on co-op gameplay. And yes, it has online co-op, 
but it feels like this is one of those games that is meant to be played couch co-op, you know, you and your buddy uh, against uh, the uh, crime syndicate, you know. For the, for those who have never played uh, uh, door, uh, door Kickers, you are uh, essentially a SWAT team. Only this time, it's essentially the action movie version of a SWAT team. <laughs> you know, you're going in guns blazing. You're not uh, really slow and methodical like uh, a SWAT team normally would be. Which, like I said, it's not a bad game. I want to emphasize this. It's just not for me. Which feels kind of a shame because it is very interesting. It has a, uh, uh, essentially a transplanted mobile progression system where each level has, you know, the typical three stars and the three stars, uh, translates into your progression points or your progression uh, points for your equipment. Each class has an upgradable weapon. Some of them are direct upgrades. Some of them appear to be side grades, like uh, exchanging just pure uh, stopping power for rate of fire to be able to uh, get more bullets down range. Because, you know, that's the thing, is that there's a... Uh, only certain weapons have uh, penetrating fire. Otherwise... It comes down to, okay, well, that guy uh, fell. Okay, now the bullets are going uh, past him. It's a 2D uh, action uh, platformer. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that, you know, you want something potentially that's more of a bullet hose, maybe. But it also comes down to uh, game style. And also a lot of the different guns have different alternate fires. Which took me a while to figure out because the game has absolutely no fucking tutorial. It doesn't even tell you the goddamn controls. Which. Well, that's not helpful. Highly unhelpful. Especially when, you know, the first level that throws you at. You know, it has pretty much an instant death state within the first 10 seconds. If you're not careful. It's just weird that. Yeah, no tutorial. They talked about having some sort of tutorial uh, during production, but this is a fully released game and there's no tutorial. Which I realized, you know, not every game needs a tutorial, but at the same time, it's just so weird. Yeah. And also, you know, since we're talking about weird things on this, there's another weird thing about it where the... Uh, as you uh, progress through the level, and depending on uh, the type of level, there's, uh, so far I encountered three different ones in essentially the first world, for lack of a better term. Uh, there's the, uh, you know, just clear hostels, which is essentially just go in and murder everyone. There's hostage rescue, where go in and murder everyone that's fighting back. But if you kill a hostage, it uh, decreases your health. And then there's an arrest warrant where you have to go in and try to take the big, big bad down. Somehow alive. I'm not sure how that's supposed to happen because, oh, there were so many enemies in that that I wasn't able to progress through it. Uh, that's why I said that it feels like it's more focused on co-op, even though it is technically playable single player. You know, it's sort of the Borderlands problem. Yes, technically you could play it single player, but you're not going to have a lot of fun with it, right? I have fun playing Borderlands single player. Yeah, but you're also weird. I was going to say, I am weird, though. So. Uh, 
But because this is an action game, uh, the way that, uh, well, as you progress through the level, you're getting, I'm blanking what they call it, but uh, you're essentially powering up a meter for different options that you could call in. A sniper strike, uh, be able to uh, pull out uh, essentially an ultimate weapon. Um, a health pack, uh, or a, 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 pa- a health pack that you're carrying with you the entire time that heals you immediately. Be able to replenish your body armor, that sort of thing. But in order to do that, it's a very slow process for an action platformer tactics game, right? Yeah. Now, in order to do that, you have to hold down the left button on controller. Uh, the key, the keyboard and mouse controls, forget about it, unless you want to rebind every single thing. Movement is the arrow keys, alright? Okay. And then, there's jump, which was, it wasn't space, it was something like E? <laughs> uh, fire was R, and there's times that you have to both jump and, uh, uh, shoot at the same time. Uh, throw gr- or use your gear was like uh, a T or something. You know, there was a lot of situations where you, uh, you know, it, it was like uh, uh, you, know, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he is playing piano and he got to a really difficult portion of the music and his fingers tied together. I just yeah. imagine doing that if I was trying to play mouse and keyboard. <laughs> it's just impossible. Thankfully, they do have rebondable keys, and I highly suggest doing so if you want to play uh, mouse and keyboard. But uh, holding down the left button on the controller essentially causes your guy to crouch down, and then he is fishing around in his pouch for different power-ups to use. And it's very sluggish for what's otherwise a very fast-action packed game and it's just such a weird thing it feels like it's one of those games that was meant to be something else but partway through they made like a prototype of a different type of game and just kind of threw the two things together so it's kind of feels kind of mismatched or like a mismatch yeah yeah yeah, there's just certain elements about it that's just uh strange it's one of those things that Maybe if the uh, the game had a longer uh, time to death, uh, because you could die within like a second, and there's certain uh, routes on the levels that if you are going in solo, it is a death trap, which makes me worry about the level design later on when the game starts really ramping up the difficulty in theory, where you're expected to shoot one guy as you're throwing a uh, flashbang, assuming that you brought a flashbang because, you know, you have different options for your gear. And it feels like there's a very high possibility of uh, just trial and error gameplay that doesn't feel right for what's supposed to be a tactics game or a tactics action shooter. Like I said, it's just such a weird combination of things that it doesn't feel like it knows what it wants to be. But at the same time, it doesn't feel horrible, you know? That's why I said it, this may be a just a case of this is not for me, right? Yeah. doesn't really sound like it's for me either based on how you're describing it. Yeah, which is a 
little disappointing because, you know, I think it would be a fun co-op game with the right person, but it's also one of those things that you have to gel really well because as you're uh, fishing around in your pack, you have to have your buddy essentially watch out for you. And there yeah. is some sort of cover system. If you crouch behind certain items, you uh, are uh, considered in cover and take less damage. But because they're so spread out, at least in the initial levels, the cover system it just feels tacked on. <laughs> and I never used it. You know, I just made sure I kept tried to keep body armor up. Or eventually, if you get enough objective done, either kill uh, uh, kill uh, hostiles or rescue hostages. Which killing uh, hostages is incredibly easy if you bring a guy with a shotgun. Uh, you are able to grant yourself an extra life that you just respawn there. But if you die in a bad place, you know, you're immediately going to die again, which is just frustrating, you know? Yeah. So I just, I just requested a key on key mailer. If I get it, we'll play together. But I went to go see how much it was and I'm not gonna. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a $14 game. We would like it together. Yeah, I would say if you're a fan of uh, door kickers for what it was, stay away from this because it's uh, it feels like they're going for a completely different crowd, but still wanting to keep the franchise essentially. Like I said, it's just such a a weird weird thing. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Um, the well, I mentioned the star system. The star system is tied to your equipment, so uh, getting new guns, uh, new gear, new armor, that sort of thing. Uh, is requires you to do well on the levels, which they don't ever tell you what the uh, you know the requirements are. Is it time based? Is it uh, you know killing all the enemies without killing uh, any of the uh, hostages? Is it you know not dying? Who knows? They don't tell you. You just uh, are arbitrarily given a, a number of stars, and you spend those on your items. But also each class has a level up system attached to it as well, which thankfully it's a shared pool. So uh, the different trees that you unlock is uh, shared, but it seems like the trees do slightly different things depending on the class. Like the one that I used the most was the breacher, which uh, the difficulty on it was uh, LOL because he was the easiest class. Uh, okay. He, he went in with a shotgun, which, uh, Instant killed most of the enemy types that I was encountering in the first world. And his alternate fire for the shotgun was a slug shot, which was the only gun I had available that had a penetrating fire. That's why I said that maybe a bullet hose is more important, or at least later on. Because otherwise, when I was taking the... Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the guy now, but I'm going to say Assault. He had a machine gun, but the thing is, I was essentially killing one guy at a time, and each guy was taking several shots to go down. Well, whenever you're going up against a group of enemies, you know, that could be rather painful, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it feels like it's a, a mixture of two games that uh, don't really go well together. Which, like I said, is a shame. It's it has uh, it has some humor about it as well. 
uh, whenever you go in uh, to the options, there was an option to turn on anti-aliasing. All right. Well, okay. It's a pixel graphics game, and it comes up with a uh, essentially an error box says, uh, "Okay, this doesn't really do anything." It gives you an option of going high or ultra. They go through all the different uh, AA modes, and it said, "No, really, it doesn't do anything." <laughs> so you know there is the humor there that yeah. uh, that I appreciated. It's just it was so uh, 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 so infrequent. That it didn't make me appreciate the game anymore. And that was really the only time that the humor popped up, really. I mean, the main trailer for this game is a door going into a police station to file a complaint. Which I think that's that's pretty cute. But it, is the door a hidden character? A secret character? I cool. honestly have no idea. Uh, I do, I do know that there's a bunch of uh, hidden pickups that you get. that are donuts, but I'm not sure if there's a hidden character. Actually, let's see. Um, I just want to see if there is a hidden character now that you mention it. But yeah, it's just I felt a little uh, disappointed by it, you know. Yeah. Let's see. Hidden Achievements Guide. Darwin Award. Kill yourself with uh, your own explosives. Badass Sight. Kill 50 hostages. Terminator. Use five extra lives in the same mission. No, I don't see anything about hidden characters, so. There's four different characters, so. Hmm. Uh, maybe there's a... Uh, or four different classes, I should say. So maybe there's a hidden character. I don't know. But yeah. It, it, it has potential. If I was more in the mood for it, maybe. But at the same time, it's just... It feels it feels like there's... Uh, you know, it needed more development time and early access, honestly. Because it's just... There's certain things that just aren't refined. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So what uh, else you got? So I've been spending some time on my phone, uh, mostly uh, because I was spending a lot of time with Stardew Valley uh, when I was on PC because I wanted to get through a good chunk of the game. So I downloaded three mobile games to try out, and one of them uh, is Plants vs. Zombies 2. Uh, and I really wish it was a PC game because... Uh, this is, well, mobile-itis. Can you not get it through Origin? I don't Maybe think so. Maybe it's the first Plants vs. Zombies. Uh, every time I search for it, it said, uh, use an Android emulator. Maybe you're thinking of Garden Warfare? Maybe. I don't know. But Plants vs. Zombies is a lane-based tower defense game where... You are essentially a guy holed up, and he is using plants to hold off the zombie horde. Well, in this game, you're going on a trip with Crazy Dave from the first game that was the seed seller, the, essentially the vendor that would pop up every so often. And he built a time machine, and he went back and through time 
Uh, the, the story is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, to be able to enjoy the taco that he just ate. But he spent, <laughs> but it opens up a lot of different uh, worlds to be able to, tr- uh, you yeah, know, have different themes of zombies and, pl- uh, and actually plans to toy around with. And the game is fun, but it also irritated the ever living fuck out of me. For one. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a uh, free to play game. So of course there's a premium currency, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's an EA game. The premium currency is practically worthless after a few hours. Why? Because a lot of items are real money purchases, not the in-game currency premium currencies uh, purchases. Oh. And they That's are some bueno. And they're damn expensive. Yeah, there's I didn't count up, but I would say a good couple dozen different real money purchases. Things uh, that are direct buying power, like uh, getting an extra seed slot to be able to bring in another type of plant onto a level. Being able to have essentially more powerful plants or alternate plants. And alternate plants are the... And some of them are returning from the original game, like uh, the Torchwood. Uh, they're five bucks a pop. I mean, damn expensive for what it is. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, real money purchases to essentially have more runs on the counter for the pinatas, which is the loot boxes that count off uh, twice per day. To be able to uh, get seed packets because it's essentially a gotcha game, but not really. As you progress through the different worlds, you unlock the plants in sequence. All right. And there's okay. a dozen different worlds. And after, a, I would say, a, just a handful of uh, levels in the first world, which is ancient Egypt. You're given keys to unlock all the other worlds, and then you pretty much pick and choose where you want to go. But it's still going in sequence, so you know it's a a it's a series of linear paths. But it has the gotcha game in it, where whenever you open up a pinata, which the pinatas are also in the progression tier, so as you're going along the path. Every so often you'll come across a pinata to open up and they have seed packets in it and each plant requires so many seeds and then it could be leveled up to a more powerful version of it with uh, some of the in-game currency, not the premium currency, the free currency or free currency, because like I said, the premium currency is pretty much worthless after a while. And in some instances, even leveling up the plants is kind of a trap because they're not big upgrades, but then there's others that are massive upgrades, but there's just some disparity between just how many seeds each plant requires. Uh, a good example is like the, the repeater, which is your, your pretty standard or, or sorry, the pea shooter, which is, you know, the very basic offensive plant that you get pretty much immediately. All right. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's a pea pod that shoots peas. You know, pea shooter. 
I'm pretty much all the game, all the things are uh, like puns. Like there's a plant that's later on that changes the tile that's planted on to be gold. All right. And plants are planted on a gold uh, tile during uh, sunshine, which is essentially your, uh, your currency to be able to plant more plants. All right. And it's called a gold bloom. And they, <laughs> and they use a Jurassic Park uh, quote in uh, the, uh, in the article for it or the, uh, uh, the, uh, almanac for it. Uh, there's pea shooters, there's torchwoods, uh, bok choy, <laughs> which is, uh, just punches things. Nice. So, you know, the humor of the original game is there. It's just, it's so damn off-putting at times where you're forced to uh, go back to replay some of the levels to grind up some of the currency because there's, it's one of those things where whenever you have a game that has a lot of microtransactions like this, uh, there's that kind of worry in the back of your mind or that thought in the back of your mind where you're thinking, okay, how are they tuning this? Are they tuning this? on the basis that I'm spending a ton of money, a lot of money, a little bit of money, or are they tuning it for free players for now? And as I go into the more difficult worlds, even though I have unlocked them, I haven't really progressed in them yet outside of doing one uh, level on each of them to get essentially the starter plant from each of the worlds to have more strategic options. Yo, know, it's that, you know, where is the balance here, right? And how right. much ground okay. are they expecting? You know, th- there's that thing in the back of my mind wondering about that. And also, the pinatas can also give the seed packets that are for the premium plants that you cannot unlock unless you spend five bucks, which is fucking irritating. Yeah. And exploitative. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, the first time I opened up a pinata, I was like, where's this plant? I don't see it on the progression. And then I went into the almanac and started looking around because the almanac is not, it's, the plant selection screens are so annoying because they're listed in order that the plant was added to the game. So they're kind of sort of grouped up by worlds at first. And then as they get further and further into the list, it becomes more and more disjointed. <laughs> there is an option to favorite plants, but yeah, that's only so much. Yeah. Eventually, you know, you know, you're, it's going to you know, create your own mess still. There's no option to say, okay, well, let me just see what I have unlocked. No, because whenever you go to it or, or start a level, it shows all the plants, including the premium plants, all the plants that you've locked that you can't use yet, even if you want to spend, uh, you know, currency or, you know, just fork over money to be able to play uh, with it. You can't because it's locked to a map level that, you know, maybe another map that's 20 levels into that map. Well, it still shows up and there's no option to hide it. So, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things that, oh, I wish this was on PC, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
So the original Plants vs. Well, Plants vs. Zombies Game of the Year edition, my kit, is on uh, Origin for five bucks. I've got it. I don't remember buying it. It might have been one of their free games when they did their giveaways, mm-hmm. you know, I guess a couple years ago at this point. I've never played two. I've played one on my phone. I liked it. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that I enjoyed it a lot more when I turned off the notification. So it stopped annoying me about, hey, your pinatas have refreshed. Hey, uh, your items in the Zen Garden has uh, grown up. No, that's another thing is the Zen Garden. Do you remember the Zen Garden from the first game? No. Uh, essentially, essentially, it was a tacton idle game where you just let it set and it build up money to be able to uh, buy upgrades for your plants. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same sort of thing here, but it's real time now. Or it's not real time, but you know, it has timers associated with it. Now, of course, you could spend... Uh, that's the actually the premium currency and probably one of the few things that you could spend premium currency on that's worthwhile. Uh, you know, after a while, I should say. Uh, as you fill up uh, the uh, the garden, it essentially builds up upgrades that you could use for for one level. And what the upgrades are, it's dependent on the plant that you get. So as you play, you get seedlings that you plant in the greenhouse or the Zen garden or whatever you want to call it. And then you uh, water water the plant and starts off a timer well depending on the plant that you get it could either just be straight up uh you know the free currency just from a marigold which was the original game or it could be any of the plants that you've unlocked and if you choose to use that particular power up what it does is it whenever you plant that plant in the next level that you activated that power up and you have the choice of when you want to use it. Right now, my Zen Garden's full of plants that I want to hold on to for later. It uses a power effect. And uh, you could also generate this effect during the level. Uh, it's uh, called plant food, where uh, as you kill zombies, uh, they'll potentially drop plant food. And you could build up to originally three. I'm able to do four now because I've progressed far enough on one of the maps to unlock the extra slot. Of course, there's also an option to pay to get a fifth slot, because of course there is, right? Of course. And uh, it's the same effect where, and it also is dependent on each plant. So if uh, you plant a sunflower that's been powered up, or you use uh, plant food on it, it's better to sell a bunch of sun- sunshine to be able to plant more things faster. Or for the walnuts, uh, it armors them up. So they're a lot tougher. They essentially get a second health bar. Uh, for pea shooters, it, you know, they just launch a barrage of uh, uh, shots. Uh, essentially just a bullet hose or a pea hose. So, <laughs> Easy, Beavis. Yeah, sorry. Couldn't help myself. You never can. Uh, but, you know, it becomes almost a too good to use. So right now my Zen garden is completely full and I'm not growing up new plants, but that's also cutting off a potential source of income. And the game just murders you at times on your free currency because uh, leveling up plants requires currency. Like I said, sub of the plant level ups is you know, a sucker's bet. Then there's uh, 
uh, essentially uh, powers that you can use during the uh, during a level. Rarely you can find them, uh, just a, a charge of them, but usually it's a uh, pay to use, and some of them are fucking expensive. You know, you could uh, just shoot a bunch of fire, or, 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 sorry, a bunch of uh, snowballs at things to slow things down. You could uh, lick most zombies off the screen. Or you can just zap them uh, for continuous uh, damage, uh, as long as you're you know, uh, pressing on them. But the thing is that it doesn't give you enough money to really justify using them outside of a all shit situation. As a matter of fact, to use like the flick uh, zombie away uh, power up, it's several levels for one use. Unless you get very lucky on the pinata, and then it gives you something like five thousand gold, right? Okay. But let's be honest: the pinata is usually just going to give you seeds that you can't use because it's giving you the damn premium currency or the damn premium plants again. Uh, it's just it feels exploitative at times, but at the same time, I, it's the game's doing what I wanted wanted in the first place, which was a game that I could pick up and play for five minutes and put down. Because all the levels are fairly short. I'm able to progress slowly through other worlds. And, it, you know, if it's the first time I'm playing it for the day, I just go back and play one of the easy levels to unlock the uh, pinatas uh, for that level. And uh, the pinatas are world-dependent, and they're each individual groupings. So if I want to try to power up my sunflowers, I would go for the ancient Egypt because that's where all the sunflowers come from. Or I should say a good chunk of them. There's a couple uh, sun-generating plants that aren't from ancient Egypt. So, you know, it's just a weird thing. It's, it ex- it's exploitive as hell. And if you do poorly, you have to want, watch a ton of ads to try to catch back up on your uh, money. But at the same time, it doesn't feel as exploitative as some of the other free games I played, right? Because it sounds it, pretty exploitative. Well, 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 I should Although, say yeah, I've seen some bad ones. Well, I should say it doesn't it's doesn't force you to sit there and watch a uh, an ad every thirty seconds like you know One Finger Death Punch did. So it's a different flavor of exploitation. That's why I said I, it's. I'm very torn on what I think about this game because, well, I wanted it's providing, but at the same time, yeah, it's like there's a lot of well, this is kind of shitty moments as well. But the individual levels are at least somewhat fun and uh, provide a fairly decent challenge, at least for the time being, I should say. Gotcha. So, uh, any yeah, questions? No, I don't. I probably won't go play this. I've thought about <laughs> going back to. Um, well, I wanted to try it Plants out uh, because it, because it kept popping up. On uh, yeah, I wanted to try something, and also the game doesn't uh, handle my phone's uh, resolution properly. Uh, the uh, well, the newer Samsung phones they have a notch cut out for the camera. Mm-hmm. And they kind of hide the camera on the status bar. Well, in this game, if you're, well, you have to play it in uh, landscape mode. Uh, the notch is like always in the way for something. 
because it's taking up the entire screen. I mean, I know that there's probably a way to go into the phone settings to you know, manually disable it uh, going complete full screen, but it's just an irritation. Yeah. Uh, seeing if there's anything else, in it, but I'm not thinking of anything else. Okay. Well, then what else you got? Uh, well, I got another mobile game. Uh, this one's technically a demo. Rebel Inc. This is from the guys that made Plague Inc. And it plays off essentially the same systems. Where you're uh, setting up a government in essentially a new country. All right. The wars of, well, I'm just going to read the symbol from the uh, store page. The war is over, but we all know that doesn't mean anything to stabilize the country. You need to balance military civilian priorities to win the hearts and minds of the people, whilst also stopping insurgents from seizing power. So it's a government management game slash insurgent uh, put down game. It's it's really weird and unique, I should say, but it has a lot of systems coming from Plague Inc., which. Uh, it's not as clear as Plague Inc. is on what's going on behind the scenes. So there's a lot of times that I'm trying to figure out, you know, okay, what am I doing wrong to uh, that I'm losing? But at the same time, part of me wonders if it's just because I'm playing essentially what is a demo. Because it is a paid game, but they don't really communicate it all that well on the store page. So a lot of the systems are disabled or hindered. You know, you don't have an option for advisors to bring in. You don't have an option to bring in uh, different leaders to try to, you know, go towards more of your managerial style. You're forced down a very particular route. And also there's only a handful of levels, which I'm not sure how that reflects on the full game. If there's only you know, six levels or six maps to play on, which are pretty short, I should say, at least the initial three. Or if the full game has a lot more meat on its bones. But I would say the big problem for this game is really just it doesn't convey the information that you need it to convey. It still has the news pop ups like Plaguing did. You know, uh, sometimes uh, some uh, somewhat humorous uh, headlines, sometimes uh, not, uh, but usually at least a nugget of information going on. And this, there's the information's there, but it feels like it's almost misleading to listen to the to the headlines because it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. It doesn't warn you about potential flare-ups of rebels until it's far too late. There isn't a way to tell that the that the rebels are about to show up by uh, clicking on each individual province, but that requires a lot of well, just sitting there and hitting every single essentially country, or uh, I guess I should say state, for lack of a better term, on the map to see. Okay, well, what are these guys saying? Uh, what do they want? What uh, what do they not want? Uh, what's pissing them off? And trying to balance that. Plus, you also have to deal with inflation. If you build up too quickly, 
uh, you essentially inflate your currency and things cost a lot more and it makes people unhappy. And if you do too many things at once, even if it doesn't cause a lot of inflation, it could cause a lot of corruption. And then there's times that you just have to sit there and let things kind of just cool down. And in theory, that would be when you're focused on your military, but because of how you have to deal with the insurgents, essentially you have to kind of just get them in checkmate, surround them with units, and then send another unit in to kill them. Unless you're kind of just shepherding them off to the corner of the map to kill them, you're going to need a lot of uh, military, which requires a lot of micromanagement of that. So you're kind of neglecting your government. And because the game doesn't really tell you the information that you need to be able to manage your government to uh, fill out the gaps of your policies, it's not really, uh, there's that disconnect, you know? Maybe it's just the fact that I'm playing the demo, essentially, for lack of a better term, or I don't have enough time in it to really be able to say, okay, on this level, I need to do this, 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 and this immediately. Wait for uh, uh, six months. Uh, start training up the military when the insurgents come while I'm doing this, this, and this. Potentially, that's w- uh, what it is, but that's not a fun game to me, right? Yeah. It sounds interesting. Uh, th- this re- this feels weird... like a game that should be on PC, honestly, to uh, be able to make more use of... <sighs> screen real estate is probably not the proper term for it, but be able to show more information on the screen. Yeah, it's weird to think about it because it sounds like you're talking about playing something more akin to a, well, not that Plague Inc. isn't a strategy game, but it's a lot more passive. You sort of set up your initial, like, what you want to do. Yeah, it's almost like an auto game at times. Yeah. But this seems much more akin to, uh, you know, like some sort of, like, management, like, city management type of game. Yeah, it's essentially taking Plague Inc. and merging it with a semi-real-time strategy as well as a government management game. Because the same ideas are still there where uh, it's uh, essentially a simulation. And instead of uh, mutating your disease, you're mutating your government, bringing in more different policies and trying to just spread out those policies and they kind of fan out from uh, your central uh, uh, location, your HQ. And as you uh, stabilize different uh, provinces or states or whatever you want to call them, uh, they stabilize to the point where rebels aren't going to show up there. So you kind of uh, uh, slowly shepherd them off. But then they pop up and you start have to kind of play whack-a-mole with it. Yeah. Maybe one of the other... Uh... Not versions, but, I don't know, DLCs or reskins of Plague Inc. Because they had one that they did that was like zombies and one that was based on Planet of the Apes. Uh, No, 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 no. That was diseases in Plague Inc. That was DLC, essentially. Plague Inc. uh, is is kind of a weird game where after a certain point, if you go down a particular path, it unlocks a secondary mode. Well, this is essentially the secondary mode for like the Planet of the Apes, uh, Apes version, you know, where it yeah. mixes a real time strategy into things. That's sort of what's going on here, but you're managing uh, essentially this little uh, 
country that's trying to stabilize after a, a, essentially a civil war. It's not necessarily a bad game, but it has a just a lack of information that it shows you or, or tells you. And the thing is that it there's some things that it that seem helpful that are actually very counterintuitive unless you go in and build a very particular way. Like uh foreign aid is one that you would think, okay, getting foreign aid is really good. No, no, no. Foreign aid's bad. Because if you go down a particular tree with foreign aid, they'll start enacting policies for you for free. Well, you may think that's good, but you also get penalized for the inflation and the corruption that that would cause you otherwise, even though it's not costing you any money. So I actually lost a game because I was having to battle corruption so much because the foreign aid was just coming in and trying to help me. <laughs> Which is very... It feels like a political statement almost, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if they're trying to make a, make a statement on that or not. <laughs> or, yeah, it's just such a... Uh, once again, kind of just this weird disconnect. That seems to be the theme of my uh, games this week. It's just a weird disconnect between what the game is trying to do and what it actually does. Yeah. So I do want to try this game. I really like Play Gink. I played it a lot. Yeah, I played um, several yeah, different maybe, uh, DLCs. Yeah, maybe since you have more uh, history of Play Gink, uh, you'll have a uh, better time with it because I didn't spend a lot of time with Play Gink. So a lot of the systems are uh, somewhat new to me as well. But I do know of Play Gink well enough and I played essentially a Flash version of it back in the day. Goddamn Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. You could get them, though. Mm-hmm. You always want to start in China or India. Or Madagascar. Yeah. Getting out of Madagascar, though, can sometimes be hard, too. Just depends. Well, simple. You just contact the penguins. You never want to start in Canada, though. Yeah, they're far too nice. You never spread. Most of Europe is a pretty bad spot to start. The U.S. can go kind of 50-50. Anyways... All right. So um, should we uh, move on to the last game that uh, tries to do something, but uh, uh, does it poorly? <laughs> sure. So uh, Elder Scrolls Blade, it tries to launch a new game. It does it absolutely poorly because uh, the E3 announcement of how to sign up for the beta is completely wrong. <laughs> oh, Yeah, what they said at E3 is all you have to do is register on the Play Store or the... <laughs> App Store, the no, the iTunes, iTunes uh, Store, whatever or whatever. Yeah, nope, nope. Yep, you had to do that, and then I think it was because the game got delayed because it was supposed to go into beta in the fall, and they pushed it back to uh, early spring. Like, I mean, you know, the beta just opened up a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that I was like, oh hey, I didn't get a notification. No, actually, I did get a notification. Yeah, I got a notification, I downloaded it, and then I got to play it for approximately 30 seconds, and then I got a splash screen saying, thank you for playing, but in order to make sure that we have a smooth uh, transition to our open beta, uh, we're uh, essentially uh, allowing people in waves. And in order to get past that, you have to actually sign up with your Bethesda account to try to get a key for it. Yeah. Which is just... 
utterly fucking stupid. But then again, to be fair, this is Bethesda, so I should have expected something mind-blowingly, utterly fucking idiotic. Yeah. I've played it. I got, uh, I went and I signed up on, you know, their website and with my Bethesda account and all that jazz. And I got an email on March the 29th. So that's what, four days ago? Yeah. I didn't see it until yesterday because we were talking about it during game night. Um, and I was like, oh, I should go check and see. And so I downloaded it and I've played it for maybe 10 minutes. Um, not enough to really talk about it. My first impressions are not great, but most of that comes down to the way that it controls and they don't have the controller support into the game yet because they talked about at E3 like this is going to be available on PC and I can't remember if they said it was going to be on consoles or not either. They're like, you'll be able to play it with keyboard and mouse or a controller even on your mobile device. So I grabbed one of my Bluetooth controllers, which I have three now. I grabbed my Xbox One controller and, you know, connected it ready to play. Couldn't find an option to enable it. It didn't notice it by default, so I Googled it, and it was like, hey, yeah, control support's not in the game yet. And I was like, well, fuck. Hey, but the store is. Stopped. The store is in the game, functioning 100%. Yeah, shame uh, the fun gameplay isn't, <laughs> based on what you said. Yeah, the gameplay that I've seen so far is tap on the screen on the ground where you'd like to, to run, run over there, Oh, there's some enemies. They're going to line up and fight you one at a time because the combat is not at all fluid like they showed at E3. You have to, like, tap and hold on a person, and it's like a timing system, and if you, you know, hold it for just the right amount of time, you do, like, bonus damage. Otherwise, every time you tap, you do an attack, and occasionally they attack you, and you can block with your shield to reduce or eliminate all damage, and you just whack them until they die. Hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that uh, E3 trailer was a lie? Yeah, I know, right? (sighs) Shocking. No, but then the next guy runs up to you and he's like, stop right there. Criminal scum? Actually, he didn't say that, but he was like, stop, and then he tried to fight, or he fought me too, and then I tapped him to death. And then there was something about a queen, and she's really evil, and a monster, and then I went into the town, and an old scraggly man recognized me, and he was like, oh, hey, I remember you, kid. And then you go into the create the character creator, you would think I was that, not expecting. Uh, yeah, you would think that if he remembers you, then you know, you're not just this amorphous blob that doesn't have a defined <laughs> gender or race yet. Yeah, which the character creator is very sad and limited. I was not expecting a full-blown, you know, creator with mini sliders and things to drag around and carefully delicately form your face and everything but uh it was very limited it's like you can choose between the races in you know the elder scrolls games and then there are some basic i think there were eight heads and then eight different hairstyles or 10 different hairstyles a few hair colors and that's about it so it was very sad Actually, no, you can make your character bigger or smaller. There's, like, one slider that's, like... Uh, a slider, Character wow. size, and you can slide it from big to small. And it basically makes them taller and slightly fatter to shorter and slightly skinnier. So. And then that's that's it. The 
like the basic tutorial mission pops up and then it's like go to the dungeon and fight some stuff and then it teleports you to the entrance of the dungeon and i was like well that's enough for me for now (laughs) i do actually want to come back and play it but it was late and i needed to go to bed and i haven't had a chance to play it since last night so you know that's my first five to ten minutes of elder scrolls blades so far it's a mobile game um so yeah if if they get like full controller support and you can actually do something that feels a little bit more like an Elder Scrolls game as opposed to just mobile trash, it might be more interesting. There's also a bunch of the game that's currently not available. Like the only thing that's available is the story mode. Uh, and then after you complete, I think the tutorial mission, you unlock their town or city builder thing, which I haven't done that yet. So I don't know what that's all about, but I'll play it more and I can talk more about it next week actually really talk about it i just haven't had a chance to get any farther than than that so in other words i had more fun with it for uh the 30 seconds that they you know kind of teach you with the combat (laughs) yeah whenever that popped up for the 30 seconds i was like oh no please don't let this be it and so far i think that's it but we'll see we'll see i'll give it a little bit more of a fair shake when i have some more time to put into it but did you have anything else you wanted to say? Uh, not really. It's more uh, just Bethesda, really. I mean, I have a low expectation for you, but still you've managed to go under it. it, it it's it's astonishing. Yeah. Indeed. Okie dokie. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm not looking forward to seeing what they do to uh, the next Elder Scrolls game at this point. <laughs> or I should say the next full Elder Scrolls game, because, you know, this is Elder Scrolls, but still. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the only other game that I played this week that is something new to talk about is Satisfactory. Um, this is the factory, first-person factory building and management game that we got very excited about, or, well, I got very excited about, at E3 last year. Uh, produced by Coffee Stained Studios, the same guys who brought you the wonderful game of Goat Simulator, uh, and then the Sanctum series, which this is an actual real game, not a dumb jokey jokey thing, so you don't have to worry about Goat Simulator being an influence, except maybe on the occasional weird flip physics glitch that happens. Um, Satisfactory feels very much like somebody went, hey, you know that Factorio game that's pretty popular? What if we do that, but in first person? And then they Yeah, that's that. called Infinifactory, isn't it? Uh, I've never seen Infinifactory. And did I just did you just introduce me to something that's going to eat or, away more of my life? Oh hang on. There's yeah. Da, 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 ba, ba, ba. And linking. It's a Zactronics game. Yeah, I found it on Steam. I have never seen this before. It's on my wish list now. <laughs> 25 bucks well like Ooh, I said it's a, Z- it's a Zactronics game it's essentially Although this uh, says it's a puzzle game well no, well, Zactronics is the developer yeah but no it says that this is a puzzle game in Fit of Factory yeah but the same thing is but, but it's the same idea where it's gotcha. first person essentially Factorio only it's a puzzle game gotcha no this is not not puzzle just Let's do Factorio, but in first person. 
So the game has a lot of similarities, and I'm going to be comparing it in a lot of ways to Factorio because it's the easiest talking point I have. I had some thoughts about Space Engineers initially, but very little of the game revolves around what a huge focus of Space Engineers is, which is turning your resources into ships and things to sort of go and do. Satisfactory is all about all about that sweet factory efficiency. Um, so there are some pretty major differences though, beyond just the first person aspect and then any gameplay mechanic changes that have to be made to accommodate that factorio just sort of drops you in no real tutorial. There's like the, the career mode or whatever in factorio, which has got a few basic tutorials in it, but they're not really all that helpful anyways. And then it just sort of, you know, you just jump into single player or multiplayer or whatever, and just go and do stuff. Uh, Satisfactory sets you up from the beginning with a bit of a, a story introduction. There's definitely an overall narrative going on here. Uh, you're working, you're an engineer for the Fixit Corporation, uh, working on something called Project. Oh, what was it called? They only mention it one time, and then I think it shows up in some of the emails you get later. Yeah, it's like Project Support or Project Save something. Project Jockstrap. Yeah. No, you get the sense that it's like, this is like a big deal you're trying to do to like, maybe like save the world or something. I don't know. They've said that more story stuff is coming in the future, but you started like a drop pod in a spaceship and you drop down onto the planet and you get like a little introduction to some stuff as you're dropping down. And then, uh, you're given a basic tutorial where the game walks you through your different equipment, uh, teaches you a few basics. Then you break apart your uh, descent craft to create your first base and everything is based around blueprints. So you have like a, a base hub, um, that you, you know, just create out of a blueprint and you've got like this little, like, uh, replicator type thing, like from Star Trek that you just like point at the ground and it like builds stuff and things like whoosh out of your inventory and build onto the ground. That's a pretty neat anima- animation that doesn't really get old. Uh, and, it, and it builds, and then that the hub serves as the tutorial and then sort of your main objective point going forward. So, you know, Factorio just drops you in and is like, hey, the goal is to build a big rocket, figure it out. And this game is like, hey, the goal is to build a giant space elevator and do cool stuff with that. Let me give you sort of step-by-step plans on how to do that. And you start out initially the first few things where you're upgrading the hub. Step one, uh, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. Yeah. Actually, I think there's a joke about that. There, there's an AI uh, who is like your overlord, and she reminds you constantly that you're under constant surveillance and that everything you do is and build is the property of the Fixit Corporation um, and that hard work will be rewarded. With cake. And things like that. It does feel sort of GLaDOS-inspired. It's definitely not, I don't feel like it's ripping her off, but it feels like they took that and were like, okay, let's do a little something with this. But anyways, it gives you a bunch of milestones to to work towards, and they're initially small objectives, like, you know, get this type of resource, build this thing, use it to mine X number of whatever, and dump it in the bin to upgrade the, the facility. And once you complete, uh, I think there's six of them, it's five or six milestones, you sort of unlock the full functionality of your base. And then it tasks you with building the uh, base for the space elevator. And after you do that, there's no more sort of tutorial stuff, but you do have general 
objectives and steps to guide you through building the rest of the space elevator and upgrading your base. And this is what I was talking about when I mentioned to you. Like, I think this fixes one of the key problems with Factorio in multiplayer, uh, especially with people with different skill levels. If you're in Factorio, if you don't have like perfect communication, two people that are at different skill levels are going to be frustrated in different ways. And like, you know, we ran into this problem where that I'm like off doing all my own thing and, you know, not Yeah, five seconds later, there's an entire base and it's like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. And this throws up objectives for, you know, for everyone and you all share completing the objective. And the first few levels are pretty easy to do and one person can get through them pretty quickly. But by like the second level of the base, stuff starts taking a lot more time. And because it's on screen, like you need X number of resources to put into the next stage of the uh, the space elevator or X number of resources to send back to the mothership. Because you have like a little, I don't know, VTOL that comes and lands on your base and you put the resources in that for certain upgrades and advancements and it flies up to the ship and you get them. And then other resources you dump directly into the space elevator to build the next section of it. And you can go view those in their respective locations. But whichever one you choose as your active objective shows up on the screen. And I haven't played it in multiplayer, but it says that everyone shares the same objective. So everyone can see the progress being made. And that just gives you like something easy to talk about. Like, okay, are you working on getting, you know, all of the steel plates that we need? Okay, so you're doing that. I'm going to go start working on getting all of the copper piping we need for this thing. And as you go farther and farther up the the tech tree as it were or uh, the things get much more complex to build. So, you know, you go from basic components to build it to needing like uh rotors or pistons or all the way up to like computer parts and things like that. And each of those things gets more and more complex to do and you can work together or divide and conquer. Um and that's something that is much more easy to communicate about and work towards. Just about everything could be crafted in hand at like a, a workbench and you can build multiple workbenches around or you can just use the one that starts in the base. This is probably one of the things that I find the most frustrating. Certain things are tied behind handcrafting. At the very beginning, it's okay because you're, you know, just starting out basics. But once you get to steel, it's like, okay, you need to make steel. How do I make steel? I need iron ore and coal. Okay, well, I can't put two things into the smelter, so how do I make that? There's no tutorial for that part. There's no help. I just finally figured out by scrolling through all of the mini items on the workbench, oh, I have to make this in hand to get enough of these resources to create the foundry, which is like the the second level of the smelter, which you can put two resources into at the same time. So some of those things can get a little annoying for me, but getting over the hurdles, you know, figuring it out. Once you get that taken care of, it becomes less of an issue, but they just, I think they need to work out some things with like the tech tree flow and how to uh, just sort of improve or reduce frustration. But anyways, having those objectives really helps. Uh, There's also like a research section uh, where you go and collect certain materials to be researched. And that gives you additional things that you can build like med packs and uh, scanner upgrades, weapon upgrades, things like that. Because there are alien life forms on this planet, but it's not in the same way that it's like in Factorio where they're attracted to pollution. You have to keep fighting them. They're just kind of on this planet. And most of the time they run away from you. There's a few aggressive animals that will attack you on site, but most of the animals are like, Oh, what is this 
weird thing that landed and is belching fire and smoke. I'm going to run away. But hunting down those animals and killing them for their sweet, sweet innards can be researched to give you things. Um, I don't even think your buildings can be damaged. Your vehicles can, uh, but I don't think your buildings can be damaged. But anyways, the animals tend to leave you alone. Um, the map itself, so there's three different maps. They're all handcrafted. They're very proud of this fact. So the maps are generally smaller than what you would expect for this type of game. But they do have a lot of detail, just that comes from being created. There's little hidden areas you can find, neat little nooks and crannies. And there's ways to exploit the fact that they're relatively small in comparison to a game like Factorio or Space Engineers, where they're procedurally generated and basically go on for forever. Um, you can build, you know, in sort of Minecraft style, you can build uh, sky bases and platforms and things like that. And there's lots of mobility options as you work your way around the tech tree. Initially, you can just run, but then there's a jetpack you can unlock. There's vehicles you can unlock. You get these, like, bouncy pads with, like, goo that you can land in to help propel you around. And then you can always just build gigantic, uh, you know, towers of Babel to get up to your really cool sky base. Well, you're supposed to be building a space elevator. That is true. And the space elevator is fucking huge. Like, Well, um, that's kind of the point. I know that is the point, but like when I was like build a space elevator, I was like, oh, okay, well, this will be lame. And then you plop it down. It's a really big building at its base. And you're like, oh, that's cool, I guess. And then you build the first like, you know, beyond the you build like the first stage of the space elevator and you look up and there's this giant like sky hook that comes and drops the cable and it like grabs on and you can see the space elevator from anywhere on the map. Like, if you build your base... That's actually sort of a, a really elevator. handy uh, landmark. Yeah, I was going to say it's a really good landmark. Um, because if you sort of center your the majority of your factory and base around the space elevator, then you can always find your way back. Um, I mean, it does have, like, a, a direction indicator, and you can put down beacons and things to mark stuff to navigate towards it. But there's no map to pull up. There's no mini-map. So you only have those little beacon signals to guide you. Um, and if you don't put those down, nothing else is saved. Like nothing else shows up. It, it gives you an indicator for like your outpost and this, and that's it. And then you can see the space elevator. Um, but, uh, let's see map. Oh, so the resources, you know, they're always going to be in the same place. I, you know, the hidden areas will always be in the same place, but the maps are actually really gorgeous. Much, they look much better than I expected. And everything seems logical. You know, again, it's hand-created instead of procedurally generated. So you don't get these weird things where it's like a path going off to nowhere. You know, if you see somewhere and like a path that looks like, it, like it's going there, that path will eventually wind around and get to where it logically makes sense for it to do. And I feel like that's a weird sentence to say. But, you know, in this world where that stuff is, you know, so often just randomly created by an algorithm, it is nice to see a game like this where it's like, okay, so I know that that path logically is going to lead me down, you know, this mountain somewhere or maybe around the lake or over there to the waterfall. And I've only tried out one of the maps, sort of the basic map is like a temperate climate that's sort of balanced in resources and uh, building space and distances. There's like a, uh, like a tundra map that has got very low biomass. Uh, so not a lot of trees and animals and things, but 
tons of other resources and wide open spaces. And then there's one that's like a jungle that's packed with biomass, but less resources and stuff. And and the way that sort of the tech, the, the biomass is your initial power source. You're just burning wood and shit to power your initial generators. And then you move up to like biofuels, which are the most, uh, some of the most efficient fuels for your vehicles in the beginning. The only thing that can run the chainsaw. But once you get to coal power, you basically don't need biofuels anymore. You just base everything around a coal power plant because biofuels are a limited resource, but coal is not. Any of the resources that you mine out of the ground, so coal, iron, copper, limestone, things like that, they're infinite. Um, and then there's just different qualities of them. So you can mine pure, which has a 50% boost to its yield, normal and then impure, which has a 50% reduction to its base yield. And then you just stick miners on top of them. So working your way up through the automation, um, this game starts to run into some issues compared to Factorio, and I'm not sure if it's more the first-person mechanics stuff or if it's just you know earlier in development than Factorio is and they still haven't quite figured out some of those things. But uh, resource and factory management can be a huge problem. So because you're operating in a 3D space, if you don't build essentially a foundation for your factory and stick to that foundation, things very quickly become unlevel and turn into a huge nightmare mess. And something that seems like it should connect won't because it's the, the height is wrong or the turn is too tight because you have to go around an obstacle for your conveyor belt or something like that. So in your mind, you can be like, okay, this should work. This will be fine. Just like a quick thing. And then it's like, nothing works. You have to tear it all down and start over. Um, because you know, you don't have level terrain and you've got shit in the way. Whereas in fact, where you don't have to worry about that. Everything's a flat plane because you're looking at it from directly overhead. Um, but that does allow you to do things like build vertically. The game does encourage you at one point, the computer's lady is like, you know, you should consider, Uh, building a compact vertical factory and that presents its own set of challenges but less so than trying to build essentially out in the open around trees and rocks and stuff so um but that can be frustrating and i you know i had to tear down a couple of factories because it's like okay well this isn't working because nothing's level and everything's messed up so then i built something with a foundation and then i underestimated how much size or how much spacing everything needed So then it was too small and I had to tear it down and make it even bigger. And I mean, that is one of those things that you can just kind of learn, but it would be nice if they gave you, uh, again, some more information about how big something is like it, it tells you that the, the foundation pieces that you can use to, you know, to essentially build the floor of your factory. It tells you how big those are. Um, but it doesn't tell you how big anything else is. So you just kind of have to learn like, okay, this thing, particular thing is like four by four. And this one is, you know, two by one or whatever. But until you actually figure that out, you're going to be a little bit lost on what you're doing. Um, Conveyor belts are really useless for long, long distance uh, travel. They're very slow, um, very resource intensive compared to using a vehicle for transportation. And that's not something that the game makes very clear. And I, that's another one of those things I learned through trial and error. Just conveyor belts are super duper slow. Cause initially I was trying to build a coal power plant and I was like, well, I'll just ship coal 
all the way from over here, it's only like six or 700 meters from my base, which not super far, you know, a little walk, but not super far. And I just could not keep up, um, uh, the recorder. I couldn't output enough coal to keep up with what I needed to meet my power requirements. And even upgrading to the maximum conveyor belt level that I had at the time wasn't doing it. And that cost me a shit ton of resources. The basic conveyor belts are really cheap, but even the level two conveyor belts, you need like upgraded resources, which have to go through like three different processes to get to that level. And by then you've got, you know, tons of power and time invested in them. So it's not cheap. So then I just gave up on that and I started researching towards uh, trucks and building trucks. Um, there's a few different vehicles in the game. There's a tractor, which they call the sugar cube, like on the forum, uh, because it's like just a, a perfect little cube. Um, and then there's an actual truck, which is the one that you can see in any of the videos or demos that they've shown off about the game. It's like a six wheeled truck. And then there's a train which I haven't gotten to yet, so I don't know how that works. And then there's a sort of exploration buggy, which has a very small inventory but can carry two passengers. And it's a lot faster than anything else. Uh, the vehicles are interesting. So um, I was wondering how, because they show them being automated in the demo, and I was wondering how that was going to work. And what you do is once you've got two truck uh, well, I mean, really, you can do this anywhere. You could just create like a weird loop out in the middle of nowhere if you wanted to. But basically, once you've got a, a destination figured out or a, a route that you want to go on, you get in the truck and you turn on uh, mapping mode and you drive the route the first time that you want the truck to take. And it shows up behind you. It's like little arrows on the ground showing you which direction that it goes. And you make the path and then you get out and you just turn autopilot on. And then it follows the route that you created. And I was worried that it was going to have issues, but actually it does really well. It, I mean, it does everything that you did to a T repeatedly. So, you know, you crash into a rock and it bumps sideways or something like that. It will do that every single time. The vehicles don't take damage from just like bumping into rocks or trees or hit, even hitting creatures. Uh, even the largest creatures in the game just get bowled over by the vehicle. I assume that's on purpose. That way it doesn't wreck your carefully designed AI system every time a, a v or an, an alien spawns in the path of your truck. But uh, it's pretty neat the way that it works. Although you run into problems if you try and set trucks up more than one truck on the same route. Because there's no way to be like, okay, I've already created this route, assign truck to route. It doesn't do that. You have to create another route for the exact same truck. And hope that you get the timing right and hope that you don't deviate too much from it so the timing doesn't get me messed up because they'll crash into each other and then it's all fucked up and you have to go manually reset it. So that's that's very frustrating. But thankfully, the uh, resource storage on the trucks is massive. Um, the tractors is the exact same size as one entire storage container, which is 24 stacks of resources. And the truck is the same as the double container, which is 48 slots of storage which is a shitload so one truck can pretty effectively handle a route by itself at least with the scale that i've been building so far that might be an issue later on but i don't know yet so let's see anything that i'm missing um 
generally, I like the game. It can get frustrating, and it's starting to get frustrating. Oh, okay, here's the, the one big con that I have, and I think this has to go, again, with just the resources and not having quite enough time to sort this out yet. There's no way to uh, move things around automatically. Like, that's not a good way to say it. So in Factorio, you have conveyor belt sorters, and you have this entire logistics system you can set up as a way to, you know, you can store a bunch of resources in one place, but they can get to different places via different kinds of automation. There's drones. You can set up a logistics system on your conveyor belts to be looking for, you know, an iron plate or something. And it's like if an iron plate goes up and or shows up and needs to go left and everything else can go right, like stuff like that. There's none of that in uh, Satisfactory. So you have to set up every single factory line for one single purpose. You have to, you know, if you want to go from iron ore to uh, iron pipes, then you have to set up a whole line to just make iron pipes. Um, you, if you want to set up a line, you know, to do a, a more complex resource like um, steel, reinforced steel bars, you have to set up everything for that whole line to make the steel bars. You can't bring in resources from anywhere else and just have like a uh, one of the assembling machines, you know, grab the resources from different places. You have to start all the way at the beginning with iron and coal, smelt those to steel, then run the steel through and create steel plates and then mix the steel plates with concrete, which you also have to set up a line to make the concrete to make the like the steel reinforced steel bars. Like you have to do that for every single thing. It has to have its own individual line. So it's not like you can make, you know, a steel line like I would do in Factorio. Store all the steel in the resource network. And then anything that needs steel can just pull the steel from the network via either drones or a complex setup like conveyor system around the base. So you wind up with this massive sprawl that you can't do anything about because there's no way to mix or match or combine networks you can take multiple conveyor lines and combine them into a single conveyor belt but there's no way to sort it everything just goes on to the same conveyor belt and there's no you know there's no way to control that it's just whatever you feed into it is going to go onto the same line so that is extremely frustrating because my base once I got past the first couple of levels and started getting to the complex things like being able to build rotors or reinforce steel plates and things like that, it's like, okay, well, my base is nowhere near big enough. I'm not going to try and smush all of this into my building. So I went, like, my base is at the bottom of a cliff. So I built a massive tower to the top of a cliff and a huge ramp to get trucks up there. And I'm currently in the process of building this huge, like one by one kilometer factory complex just so that I have plenty of room to expand. It's massive, but you know, I've got to figure out the sprawl and then the power requirements are going to start getting out of hand. So that's, that's a big problem I have with it. There's no way to really minimize anything. Everything has to have its own separate line if you're going to create something and that gets a little old, but otherwise, I think Satisfactory is, is intended much more to be a multiplayer game than a single player game. I mean, you can definitely play it single player and have fun. There's plenty of people in the subreddit who have done that. I've been enjoying it single player. But there starts to be a really big ramp up in resource costs for all of the upgrades. And then a lot of a big ramp up in complexity for what you have to 
uh, design factory-wise to create those items. So having more people would make that process go a lot more smoothly because I'm having to do all of the scouting, all of the setting up my sort of bases to bring in resources that aren't nearby my initial factory complex, building, you know, a giant base, building out all these systems, getting everything put together, then putting all the resources in to, you know, complete the upgrades and unlock the next level of the thing, uh, space elevator or my hub base. So I, I do think it's maybe not intended to be played multiplayer, but they're sort of giving you a, like a subtle nudge from a gameplay perspective. Like, Hey, this would be easier if you had a friend. And like I said, I think some of the systems they've implemented into the game make that easier to work with someone than in Factorio, but you know, it's still pretty complex, but I like it. I like it. Um, it's, you know, it's only on, currently on the epic store it's supposed to be coming to steam in a year some of those timed exclusive deals i wouldn't have bought it you know i got a review key for it otherwise i wouldn't be playing this right now because i don't buy games on the epic store i just get the free ones um i might you know if they don't do some sort of what would it be it wouldn't be cross-platform because you know we're all on pc but if they don't segregate the multiplayer lobbies then i probably won't buy it on steam but if they do segregate it and there's other people who want to play and there's no way to get around it like the the game hosts servers within its own within itself i don't know the right how to say what i'm trying to say but you know you create the servers in game it's not like you go create an external server and then connect to it so i don't know if there's a way to do that once it does come to steam or gog or something but you know if we have people in the community who want to play it when it comes to steam I would probably buy it on Steam and play it there. But I'm enjoying it. I'm going to play through it some more. Eventually, I'll probably max out everything that's available in early access right now. There's more stuff coming. Like, there's only, I think, five levels of... It's four or five of the um, space elevator in play. There's supposed to be nine total. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure where they're going to go with that. But there's resources on the map that I found and that people have been saying on the forums, like, this doesn't do anything yet. They just, the resources are on the map for future content. So, I like it. If you're into this sort of game and you don't have a problem with the Epic Store, as in, like, you, listener, I know you have problems with the Epic Store, Rage. But, you know, if if you're into this, (laughs) if you're into this sort of game and you don't have problems with the Epic Store, I think, I, I mean, I would recommend it. There's a shitload of stuff to do here. But if you don't like this type of game or if you do have major issues with the Epic Store and their business practices, then... You know, probably not for you. And that is A-OK. So yeah, that is what I have played this week. Well, I would say that would be a satisfactory rundown of it. hi Well done, sir. Let me take a drink. My throat is a little, a little sore after that. I sound better this week, but I still have, you know, I'm in allergy season, so I'm going to be suffering for months. Just quietly suffering. Yeah, I get over it just in time for the autumn one. Yeah. Yay. So, um, are we good to move on? Or? Yeah, I've had a rest. Okay, well then I'll let you take the lead on this next one. Uh, do you want to rest? Yeah, I'll take a, a couple of minutes. Sweet. 
then let's dive back in uh, to our first news topic of the night. I'm on the wrong place on the sheet. Serial swatter Tyler Barris sentenced to 20 years for death of Kansas man shot by police. So this was back in November. Didn't this actually happen like late 2017? I thought, or maybe uh, uh, the uh, some uh, news about it happened about it uh, uh, in uh, yeah late last year, and that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, actually, I should have checked to see when he originally. Uh, uh, Andrew, yeah, December 2017. Okay, so uh, I guess there was a you know a, like a year anniversary or something that I'm remembering then. So. Uh, back in 2017, uh, boy, how time flies, huh? Yeah, I know. That only feels like 47 years ago right now. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, just yesterday, uh, a a bet between two gamers over a dollar fifty gun or something. Uh, well, this was Call of Duty, so yeah, who knows, right? Uh, right. Uh, there was a squabble between the two of them. One threatened to kill the other one, and the other one said, okay, uh, come get me, and gave his old address. Well, the one that uh, uh, produced the death threat contacted this jackhole, who is known uh, to be a serial swatter. Well, he called in a rather ridiculous-sounding 911 call. The local police showed up, Claimed that the guy that came out on the porch uh, went for his waistband, which I've seen the video and uh, I would say is dubious at best uh, for that claim. Yeah. Uh, because they shined a light on his face and, you know, he kind of flinched and he was shot. Uh, shot and killed, I should say. Well, he pleaded guilty and, well, uh, he uh, got the book thrown at him. 20 years. I mean, that's... yeah. A hell of a lot for essentially, I guess that'd be felony murder. I actually didn't see what the actual charge against them was. That's a good question. Uh, let's see. Uh, one count of making a false report resulting in a death. He admitted to years of swatting and the act of falsely reporting. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he agreed to serve 20 to 25 years in federal prison as part of a plea agreement. So this was a plea deal that he did uh, that he's pulling 20. Yeah, I suspect he was facing potentially life. Life or death. Well, California doesn't have the death penalty. Yeah, but they were wanting to extradite him. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if Kansas has the death penalty. Does Kansas have the death penalty? Yes, Kansas does have the death penalty. So there you go. Yeah. So, at the very least, he was probably facing a lot more than 25 years, Mm -hmm. probably close to a life sentence, or death penalty for that. Yeah, which, okay, well, he, uh, hang on, how old is this guy? Uh, They keep talking about the uh, guy that got shot, but. Uh, I think, I'm kind of pulling this from memory, but I think he was in like his mid to late 20s, The, the guy who actually did the swatting Tyler Barris. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the, the way the article is written, uh, it's a little confusing because they gave back and forth. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, he, uh, I mean, it's essentially a life sentence because you're in, uh, uh, prison for 20 years. So, you know, you're not with the advancement of society. So the world is going to be a completely different place when he comes out. But then again, he was actual uh, absolute idiot about this. He got on Twitter bragging about it while he was sitting in jail. I mean, really? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, people can be really dumb. Also, I mean, this is the first time that there's been a conviction like this for this type of... Oh, this was the first time that there was a death uh, uh, linked to gaming swatting. I'm not yeah, sure if it's, the, so... uh, if it's the first death to swatting period, but I know it was one linked to a, you know, a video game dispute. And, bo- yeah. and boy, did that, you know, uh, the link uh, to gaming uh, and swatting on this really blow up for a while, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, he could have thought, eh, you know, what's the worst could happen? I'll be fine. I won't go to whatever. I won't go to jail. There's no precedent. Well, I don't know if he would have had this thought. He seems like a combination of like a really smart but also a really stupid guy. But, you know, I don't think he probably went, ah, there's no pre- legal precedent for this. I'll be fine. But they set a legal precedent with him, so. Well, probably also, you know, he uh, saw it as uh, harmless because of how long he did it and no deaths resulted. Probably uh, some uh, very soiled underwear, but still. No yeah. deaths. Let's see. Uh, he has false uh, calls committed uh, between 2015 and 2017. So he was active for a couple of years. In Ohio, Nevada, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Texas, Arizona, Massachusetts, Missouri, Maine, Pennsylvania, New York, oh, sorry, New Mexico, Indiana, Michigan, Florida, Connecticut, and New York. So, you know, he had a few states. So I'm just like doing some further research on this. Uh, so his, he has not been sentenced yet. So this was the plea deal that he made, but the judge can reject it. Yeah. And change his sentencing, at which point in time it goes to trial. Yeah, so this may not be the end of the line for it. Looks like he's being charged on 51 federal charges of various degrees. But, I mean, what he's being charged with second-degree murder? Yeah, second-degree murder. I'm just scrolling through another another article looking at this stuff. I'm surprised they didn't go after the kids that, well, I use the term kid, but everybody is of legal age. But, you know, uh, I'm going more on how they acted. But uh, the guys that uh, had the argument in the first place, I'm surprised nobody went after that. Well, I mean, you know, they didn't actually commit the crime. Yeah, true, but. I guess they could be charged as some kind of, like, conspiracy or something, but. Um. So, and I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I do understand a few basics about this. And basically, first degree murder is premeditated mm-hmm. um, and carried out with malice, whereas second degree is, uh, well, I mean, it's not. You know, you had an action which could lead to someone being murdered, but that wasn't the original intent. But it's different from manslaughter because manslaughter is completely accidental. Uh, yeah, like manslaughter is complete oopsie. Second degree is kind of oopsie. Yeah, second degree is like you were committing some sort of crime and someone died as a result of that crime, but the intent was not to kill someone, so you don't get first degree murder. Yeah, then you start getting into weird things. Uh, like, uh, and I said the term earlier where 
you were the accessory to a crime that a, a murderer was committed on. Yeah. Although I think if you're an accessory to murder, you can be charged just as harshly as the person who committed the murder. Yeah. I don't know. There's an interesting YouTube channel I watch called Legal Eagle. Mm -hmm. And it's a guy who has been a, a lawyer for a number of years. He teaches law at, I forget what law school, but anyways, he's, so he's a, a law professor and he talks about, uh, this, you know, yeah, the felony murder. He's rule. got like, yeah, he's got like a one oh one you know, YouTube series where he talks about some basics and then he'll, he'll do things like he'll go through like movies and TV shows and talk about in what ways they're realistic and what ways they're not. He probably turns on and CSI it, and his head explodes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does. He, you know, law and order, he goes through law and order a lot episodes and sometimes they do a really good job and sometimes they don't, but anyways, yeah. So I just wanted to, you know, if, yeah. if we do have any lawyers in our audience, I don't know if we do or not. And you want to add to this discussion a little more just because you know more about, you know, the legal, I mean, the whole legal stuff involved in this, please feel free to, to write in and expand upon or correct anything that we stated that was wrong. But, you know, to the best of my, sort of layman's knowledge. That's what's going on here. So, you know, not, I don't think there's a ton more to say about yeah, it. It's just more like, I mean, just a follow up deal. Yeah. And we're following up to it. So, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, and uh, I have to say on. that, you know, this kid looks oh, fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just something about his face. And I'm not sure where it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, he does, He's got that look to him. I don't know. It's kind of stereotypical or stereotyping, but there is sort of a look that a lot of people who commit crimes like this have, you know. The dumb motherfucker look? I, hesit I hesitate to say white trash, but that might be a little a little too strong, but I definitely get that vibe from But him. the shoe fits, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um... Yeah, so moving on to our next news topic. Uh, Bioware doesn't see the value in articles tearing down Anthem's development. Yeah, so, this is kind of a big one, uh, especially the article that spawned it. Right, so, you know, Anthem's a big old mess. We all know that. Uh, Kotaku, is it, was it Jason Schreier from Kotaku? Is that uh, yep. article? Yeah, it is, Jason Schreier. One of the, so one of the few good pretty, writers there. Yeah. Um, so he put together this article talk, uh, where he talked to 19, uh, members from either Bioware's current team or, you know, someone who was working at Bioware while Anthem was being worked on. And he, you know, he protects their identity. He doesn't go into the specifics, but he said these were all people who either worked on or adjacent to the game. Also known as investigative journalism. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and he went through and, um, just interviewed them a lot and sort of tells the story of Anthem's development from, you know, its conception back in late 2011, early 2012, up to where it got modern day and some of the twists and turns that happened along the way and how it turned out to be such a big mess. And, you know, if you want to go through and read the whole article, you know, I think you should. It's a very good read to sort of sum it up. Uh, Anthem was a disaster because of a combination of uh, industry practices getting out of hand. So things like crunch time getting even worse in the last few years. And a couple of their, 
or particularly Dragon Age Inquisition's success with that's the game where that most people uh, in this article were saying, you know, we were doing so much crunch time. There was so much stuff they were trying to throw at us to do and we didn't think it was going to work, but it somehow did. And so, you know, they took a lot of bad lessons from that game's development. So putting those practices further into use. Um, Mass Effect Andromeda, they lost a lot of key staff members, good key leadership through that whole thing. Uh, So a lot of the, you know, the captains of the ship went missing. So they had very poor or no leadership about halfway through Anthem's development. And then EA meddling with Bioware in a number of ways, constantly moving team members around to work on other games that uh, EA deemed to be more profitable to go at or, you know, to pursue and then forcing them to use the frostbite engine, which was not designed at all for this type of game. Uh, And they, but not giving them any support to help figure out how to turn the frostbite engine into something that would work for it at least not until very late in the game. They were saying it was something like the last 18 months before the game actually released. It was in the, when they finally got EA's full support, and Anthem was in development uh, in varying, not sort of stages, but degrees. varying sort of levels of support. Yeah, varying degrees of development for over seven years. And it was only the last 18 months that EA finally said, okay, now we're going to give you some support and help you. And came in and sort of took over the project and forced it in a direction that um, Bioware had not originally intended for it. They wanted it to be more... They they always wanted it to be a multiplayer game, but something much smaller in scope. Just like a two to four player cooperative game that uh, had a lot of survival elements in it, but not... You know, you didn't have a food meter or a water meter. It was sort of a... <laughs> man versus uh nature sort of a monster hunter without the green monsters yeah yeah they they were saying that the initial concept is that you were stranded on a planet that was essentially at the um you know the ass end of a black hole and everything that got sucked up was shot down onto the planet with you and it caused crazy weather and there were aliens and things like that and you basically had to survive and figure out how to uh escape and it was a, a cooperative focused game. That was the initial intended vision for it. And then some more shooter elements got it added in just as sort of a, a test by Bioware to see how it would go. And then once they finally got the flight system working properly, they demoed it when I forget who it was, the EA exec that was there. The suit. And he was like, yeah, the suit. And he was like, that's the game that we're making. That's what we want with like, two between 18 and 24 months until the game was supposed to launch and that's what they had to sort of slap together for that first e3 preview in 2017 was based on the one little flight demo that the suit saw so even though the game was in development for seven years there was basically no one at the helm for more than half of that time and when someone was at the helm they were not providing good leadership and EA would constantly come in and, like, spin the wheel around and be like, okay, that's what you're doing now, bye. And also, they didn't want to take cues from other games in the looter-shooter genre once it kind of settled into that. After bouncing around, what, like, two or three different full games, essentially? Yeah. 
Yeah, they uh, they they said, uh, and when I say they, the people that Jason Schreier interviewed said that uh, basically comparing Anthem to Destiny or The Division was like a dirty, sort of a dirty thing to do. You didn't do that. You would be chastised for that. And they wanted to compare it to Diablo 3, even though this game has very little in common with Diablo 3. Well, there's loot. Yep. That's about it. Um, there. Oh, there's equipment. There's things to equip. Um, that's. There's classes. There's classes. Yep, there are. Classes. And there's abilities. Not not yep. as many, but there's abilities. But uh, oh, and you click you know, on they, things. They... You click on things. You click them to death. You do click on a lot of things. Um, and then towards the end of the article, they were saying things like, you know. Whenever all these reviews were coming out, we were saying, yeah, this is basically what we were telling all the bosses for years, and they refused to listen to us for one reason or another. You know, it was an EA suit who didn't care. It was a a Bioware, you know, upper level manager whose hands were tied, or someone who was so focused on their own vision, they just dismissed your concerns out of hand. And they were like, we know. But there was nothing we could do about it if we wanted to keep our jobs and, you know, live. So that's, I mean, that's, that was a pretty long summary. But I mean, this article is huge. I'd say if you printed it out, it would be, I don't know, 10 to 15 pages. Well, it has a very small uh, scroll bar. Stuff in here. Yeah, it's a very small scroll bar. Which kind of uh, leads into what I actually wanted to talk about was... uh, an article from PC Games in uh, Bioware does not see this see the value in articles tearing down Anthem's development, which we kind of already highlighted how idiotic it is because they don't want to learn from others' mistakes. And in this case, it's their own development team. And I do understand, likely part of the reasoning behind this and you actually kind of mentioned it when you're talking about satisfactory or at least at one point when you were comparing the ai to klados is that there's this absolute fear of being considered a ripoff in gaming you know having a a similar mechanic or a sim or even the same genre gamers are Absolutely brutal when the same mechanic or the same general idea pops up several times. I mean, hell, we have entire genres built around a kind of a mocking term for that type of game. Also known as roguelike. Yeah. Or the Dark Souls of blank. Yeah. Or uh, the Soulsborne genre. If you want to give a a name to that without being completely, uh, you know, dismissive, but it's still almost a kind of mocking almost, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's that undertone of, well, it's like this, but well, for one, that's trouble for uh, (laughs) trademark and copyright (laughs) because, you know, you start getting some murky waters there and game development is not cheap. So they want to be safe. Two, yeah. they want to be seen as innovative. And 
you can't really be uh, considered innovative if you're Dark Souls, but you're in sci-fi, you know, and you're in an exosuit. Right. I mean, that's still Research. innovative. And uh, taking uh, the genre in a, you know, in a different twist because that change of theme allows for different things. But, you know, there's still that attachment to your initial idea. And I think that's at least part of the reason outside of just sheer arrogance of not wanting to learn from others' mistakes. But at the same time, you know, you're not learning. So it's kind of, boy, here, here's going to be a historical thing is uh, the space race because information was so held back by the Soviet side. The same mistakes were made on both sides, uh, the American uh, space program and the Soviet space program. And because the American space program lagged behind in the early years, uh, for example, the Apollo one fire, well, the Soviets knew you do not have a pure oxygen atmosphere in your spacecraft. Well, because that information didn't get out of all the deaths related to, you know, that particular mistake, the Apollo 1 disaster happened. Now, I realize that's a little bit of a grim version of it, but it's the same basic idea that information is not being used to avoid other people's mistakes. And, yeah, there's a fine line between trying to avoid being made into, well, this game is just a ripoff of this, this, and this. And learning from the mistakes of Destiny and uh, and the Division when making Anthem. You know? There's a, there's a, there's a rather wide <laughs> area there, right? Yeah. Now, I can, I can see that mindset that they, that developers have and that for some reason a lot of gamers have. And I don't know if other, you know, I don't know if film suffered from this, maybe back in like the 40s or 50s. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the history. I haven't, I haven't researched that history of it, but, you know, at some point. I I would say it's maybe different styles, like a Tarantino like uh, action sequence uh, in modern day. Yeah, but I don't. But ever but it's hear not that dismissive, said. you know. Yeah, I I don't hear that in films. You know, maybe occasionally if something gets overused way too much, but that's you know a different thing. You know, in terms of like oversaturating something. The I Dutch think that's a more tilt or criticism or whatever it was, uh, where you tilt the Dutch camera. angles. Dutch angles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you tilt the camera, mm-hmm. and that being overused in like a lot of the early Marvel movies and stuff. But anyways, you know I. I think that's a more understandable criticism than just, oh, this thing is similar to this other thing. Like, of course it is. There's trends in industries. There's only so much creativity at a time. And ideas are not built by themselves. An idea very rarely just pops into someone's head without any prompts whatsoever. Ideas are iterations of your knowledge, of your experience of your skills. And when you're working in the games industry, a lot of your skills are coming from, well, uh, on a design level, I should say, playing other games and learning from them. 
So saying something's a ripoff is extremely dismissive. Mm-hmm. And Bioware, yeah. I think, is being overly defensive about this uh, when they're saying they don't see the value of uh, articles tearing uh, down Anthem's development. I respectfully disagree because, okay, the AAA gaming industry is at a point where they feel like they could do no wrong. I think that I think that's fairly safe to say, especially with the article Bioware said. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Their uh, internal culture, but this is a is a lesson for game development for free for the entire industry. Do not do this. And while the AAA uh, industry will not heed this, most likely, unfortunately, the double A's out there, the, the handful of those, the you know the bigger indie uh, uh, studios. And the indie scene will take this to heart, I think. So, yes, there is value for Bioware. Okay. Maybe that's true that they don't see the value because they have their head stuck so far up their own ass that they can't see anything except maybe breakfast. <laughs> yeah. My brain just sort of wandered away. I had something I was going to say, but... Uh, sorry, I now. talked over you there. No, you're okay. You're okay. It's just... I, I think something really has to change in the gaming industry. And honestly, how gamers act in general, which kind of brings up uh, something that I didn't put on the docket, but r slash games shut down for April Fool's Day to address toxicity in gaming, which... Yo, that's not the day that you want to yo try to have a serious topic, right? No, definitely not. I think it got lost in kind of the message. Or the message got lost in sort of the noise of April Fool's Day. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. So this move to, you know, dismiss is very... I mean, they're pulling a a, a play from the, at least you know, from my own experience, the more recent political playbook, Mm -hmm. which is just downplay and, And you know, ignore and yeah. Yeah. Because vilify the opposing side and then just wait for it all to blow Mm -hmm. over because the news cycle is so rapid nowadays. Yeah. I I believe uh, there was a Polygon article I saw. I didn't put it on the docket, Um, essentially trying to defend their own article or sorry from Kotaku, I think. Uh, saying that the press is not your enemy. Which the fact that that actually has to be said in modern times is scary. Yeah. I mean, that's not just even a political statement, which, oh, so many damn things these days that shouldn't be political statements are political statements anyway because of how fragmented, uh, the political scene is in the United States. But the fact that the press is seen as an enemy is just mind blowing to me. Even a entertainment niche industry, which yeah, technically video gaming is a niche of the entertainment industry. Saying that I have to say that the press is not the enemy there is just astonishing. Yeah. I I agree with you. 
And this is probably why we don't see much investigative journalism, because it's so much safer to just regurgitate uh, press releases over and over again, right? Or have opinion pieces yeah. and not go as in-depth. Plus, you know, this Bioware article had to take ages to put together. You know, had to, you know he had to have been writing this for at least an hour. At least an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm 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 kind of joking yeah, though, but at the same time, you know, you run into some of the the gaming blogs or what they uh, the news sites that uh, use the term blog as a defensive shield whenever uh, criticism is placed against them. And there's so many just nonsense sentences or just typos that should have been caught by an editor, but because it pretty much goes straight from the uh, writer to the uh, website because you know the news cycle is so quick, and you know you have to get that out there first to get that sweet sweet ad revenue, right? Oh yeah. That you know uh, the idea of an investigative journalism, uh, uh, in, uh, sorry, investigative journalists in gaming is almost as uh, rare as a game critic. Damn, I miss Total Biscuit. <laughs> Me too, buddy. Me too. You know, I, you know, and all, you know, just like thinking about it, mm-hmm. I wonder how many weeks it probably took him to cultivate this. Like, Jason Trier is one of the few video game journalists whose name I know and whose work I'm familiar with and who does stuff like this. But cultivating something like this would have taken probably weeks, if not months to set up with various contacts and, you know, coax or convince people that it's okay to, you know, come and tell their story. He will, you know, protect their identities and things like that. All the time to sit down and do the interviews and the research. I want to see, like, all the notes about the stuff that didn't go into the article. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of just skimming it again and just so much interview work so much uh, uh, time involved I kind of wish that he wasn't uh, at Gotaku so you know I would uh, run into his work more often because I try to avoid Gotaku just because there's so much trash on there yeah I think that's fair to say yeah generally I'm not a big fan of Kotaku but it's just Uh. um, (laughs) I think this is a lesson that is it for the AAA gaming industry? And but that's also what I really wanted to talk about was kind of uh, this disconnect of wanting to learn, but also wanting to be an industry leader. Well, those who don't adapt die, right? Yeah, definitely. And adaptation is part, uh, yeah, learning. I feel sad for the people that work at Bioware. Ah, uh, don't worry. They won't be working there long. Ooh. Cold? Sick burn. Sick burn. Too soon. Too soon. Or too early. I I, yes. I really don't see a future for Bioware. The, the future is cloudy at best. I think... If Bioware, if they... ex- if, if Bioware continues to exist past 2020, they're going to be the Anthem uh, development team. They're not going to be a game developer anymore. They're going to be uh, working on the live services, and that's it. Yeah, 
I think uh, if they knock it out of the park with the next Dragon Age, then they'll... I was going to say they'll be all right. They'll have a better chance at being all right. But if that's not a success, then yeah, they're... Yeah, but the thing is that this is two games in a row that they followed the same formula of just flapping about for you know half the development time and then just crunch the last half. What talent they do have remaining has to be feeling some serious burnout by this point. Yeah. I really think that Bioware is going to see a severe uh, brain drain before too long where they're just... Uh, they've worked their developers to death, and this is you know, this is also an industry problem. It's just this culture of uh, you know, your employees being this disp- infinite disposable resource. Well, the kids that are growing up today, uh, you know, learning how games are made. I think they're going to be a lot more hesitant to get into the field, or if they do get into the field, they're going to be the indie developers of tomorrow. I think the uh, I think the idea of a AAA studio is going to be a lot more difficult to sustain. I'm not going to say it's impossible because there is the money there to throw at it, but it's going to be tougher for them because yeah, these horror stories are way way too frequent for anyone that's serious about gaming to really want to take part. And an artistic medium where you're scaring off those who are the most enthusiastic and have the most heart uh, is just a very dull gray scene. Also known as the AAA gaming industry. (laughs) Or are we back to brown? Uh, What's the color palette today? Um... Yes. But you know what no? I'm saying? That you know, uh, we're not going to see as much of a vibrant innovation. Partly just due to just the absolutely absurd budget. So they have to play it safe. But at the same time, they're scaring away the heart, the artist. They're scaring away uh, the talent. Or the most talented. The most uh, enthusiastic. So it's going to be more of a factory production. And it's going to, but it's going to likely enrich the uh, indie gaming scene and the double A scene where there's just going to be people that are so scared to go into these massive corporations that, you know, uh, they'll be more willing to uh, join these smaller groups. At least until they get acquired. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, so a lot of these problems that you're talking about, at least in America, I can't speak to a lot of European countries that have better uh, employee protections and stuff, but at least in America, I mean, this is a problem, not just in the games industry. Yeah, well, it's also... It's getting worse everywhere. Yeah, well, uh, we had an item on the docket uh, a couple weeks ago about Dwarf Fortress going to Steam, mostly just due to healthcare and the idea that your healthcare is linked directly to your job and boy this is going to get into a political uh, discussion uh, possibly very quickly but the idea that your healthcare is linked to your job makes it very tough 
to be able to leave your job because you know, you're losing all your benefits along with it. Yeah. And most in the United States, most employers, you have to work for a minimum amount of time. It varies by employer and by industry, but you know, you have to be at a new job for a certain period of time before you can even get health insurance through your job. So there's all, there's a period in there where that you won't have any benefits any insurance. Yeah, in healthcare in the United uh, States, you might as well just die. Yeah, and the healthcare in the United States is absurdly expensive. Yep. Don't even get me started on that. Well, it's not like, uh, you know, uh, one of us has recently had a health problem. Yeah. Multiple health problems. But hey, you get uh, uh, you get to go and get your head fucked by a machine every so often. Yep. I gotta, I gotta go back next month. My uh, oh, got another date. See. Yeah, let's see, what was it? This one is with a different machine. I get to look at flashing lights and push buttons. The lining around my ocular nerve is too thin in a certain one or two spots, so they have to test me to see if it's an early indicator for glaucoma, oh, fun. which runs in my family. So just let me just pile on another issue. Why don't we just kill you at this point? I might as well just die. Yeah. I would say uh, sell you for parts, but, you know. Uh, Nobody wants my spare parts. Actually, my kidneys are really good. My my kidneys are functioning above average. But my pancreas is broken. My eyes are broken. I think my heart's okay. For now. I have too many allergies. Yeah, sinuses are completely broken. Yeah, my sinuses are broken. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if my lungs are broken or if they just malfunction because of my sinuses. Yeah, I can't risk it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're broken. Hey, you're as broken as the healthcare system. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have the benefits, though, of being on the receiving end of all of the money that flows into our broken healthcare system. All the detriments and none of the benefits. My penis still works fine. I've got that going for me, which is nice. Although I'm not sure if you can donate that after you die. Probably not. I don't want to Google that right now. Feels like a very risky Google. Never talked to you before, but let's move on. <laughs> Indeed, let's do that. So, the next up is, well, our last news topic. Valve focusing on larger artifact issues, not uh, shipping updates in the immediate future. So, um, speaking of hot messes, <laughs> artifact, yeah. um, um, fell on its face, I think is the uh, best way to uh, say it. Yeah, fa- failed to launch. Oh, no, it, it, like no, those- no, it launched, it just... It's one of those things. It's like, uh, uh, now I can't remember what, uh, space industry it is since we're, uh, since I already brought up the space race, but it's like that, the stock news footage of the rocket that's about to launch. It starts oh, and it, it falls and over and flips, blows up. Yeah, falls over and it blows up. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like a gif of like, you know, the start of a horse race or something. The horse comes out of the gate, immediately fall, falls down trips and falls down and then breaks its neck yeah 
but your exploding rocket analogy is better. Yeah, well, uh, well, Artifact was a bit of a flash in the pan, wasn't it? Indeed. So, basically, Valve uh, had a uh, well, an announcement. And we'll, we'll just read that and then we'll uh, kind of comment as we go. Let's see. Sure. It was earlier this month Valve announced that they uh, laid off uh, Richard Garfield among 12 other employees from the Artifact team. The latest uh, Steam announcement is a brief morose statement on the state of Artifact. When we launched Artifact, we expected it would be the beginning of a long journey that would lay the foundation for years to come. Our plan uh, was to immediately dive into the normal strategy of shipping a series of updates driven by the dialogue of community members uh, that the community members were having with with each other and us. Obviously, things did not turn out as we hoped. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... Obviously. Artifact remains the largest uh, discrepancy between our expectations and how one of our games... for one of uh, for how one of our games would have would be received and the actual outcome, also obviously right. Yeah, but we don't think that players misunderstood our game, or that they're playing it wrong. Artifact now represents an opportunity for us to improve our craft and use that knowledge to build better games. Since launch, I like that yeah, statement. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I like yeah, this that is, statement. Yeah, this is the opposite of what Bioware did. Yeah. You know, they're not, like, directly saying it, but essentially what they're saying is, like, we done fucked we up. messed up, and now we're going to try and fix it instead of just abandoning this or blaming you guys for our problems. Yeah. Which is nice to hear. We don't hear that very often. Yeah. Uh, actually, ex- uh, not only accepting blame, but learning from it. This is uh, this is pretty much what I was talking about during the Bioware uh, discussion. Uh a game developer that not only accepts their faults, but learns from them. It doesn't code right. in PR speak. Since launch, we've been looking carefully at how players interact with the game as well as gathering feedback. It became clear that there was a deep-rooted issues with the game and that our original update strategy of releasing new features and cards would be insufficient uh, to address them. Instead, we believe the correct course of action is to take larger steps to re-examine the decisions we made along the uh, re- along the way regarding the game design, the economy, the social experience of the game, and more. What does this mean? Moving forward, we'll be heads down, focusing on addressing these larger issues instead of shipping updates. While we expect the process of of uh, experimentation and development to take a significant amount of time. We're excited to tackle this challenge. We will get back to you as soon as we're ready. And that's the end of the statement. I mean, for one, they're not abandoning this, which honestly, I expected one of two things. Valve just to cut their losses or to make it free to play and just to turn it loose. Yeah. Now, the fact that they... I was expecting the second one. Yeah. Now, the fact that they cut uh, yeah, uh, their lead designer... Uh, says one of either two things to me. Either they're, yeah, going to completely change course and that, you know, he wasn't relevant anymore. 
Well, uh, well, I should say uh, that's what it uh, says to me. Uh, The other one was what's already been dismissed is that they were going to just cut the game loose. So I think we're going to be seeing a very different artifact in the future. Now, the question is time frame because, you know, valve time is a thing. Yeah. I like how they, too, were like, yeah, this is going to take a significant amount of time. <laughs> yeah, so I, just like, yeah, I think they're essentially saying they're going back to the drawing board for this. And I, yeah. and I think they're going to completely rebuild the game from scratch. I'd be shocked to see you know, much of the launch version of Artifact remaining in Artifact 2.0, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of like what's the next step from an artifact relic it's going to be a relic i think relic artifact i think Re- i think relic would relic. be uh, upset about uh, you know valve <laughs> naming their game relic it's like wait a damn minute here <laughs> yeah as long as it's not a hidden relic <laughs> well he's been hiding pretty good lately yeah Gonna have to go dig him up, I guess. Yeah, been a while since we've heard anything from him. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, he was a busy kid. Indeed. Yeah, but uh, and he actually is a kid, mm-hmm. or at least he was. But to be fair, you could say that about anyone. Yes. <laughs> Can't do that. But uh, Valve had a, a lot of serious problems with the artifact. For one, it was. A long-form card game, which I know that sounds uh, you know, like, oh, well, what's so bad about that? Well, uh, the game could get into just a slog. And it was also very hard to really keep track of things as a, uh, a viewer of the game. I-, I tried watching a bit of it, and I had no idea what the hell was going on. So, yeah, you know, that's pretty much the Dota experience. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I've I've seen a few uh rounds played and I think I kind of get like the very basics of it and it's much more uh hectic than a lot of other card games. But, you know, they they did do something a little bit different with it, so mm-hmm. I mean, they were trying to uh, innovate, but at the same time they uh well, they were focused on essentially trying to recreate Magic the Gathering, where all the cards have a direct monetary value and we're going through the Steam marketplace. And on launch, there was actually no way to get cards for free. You had to buy in more, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, that, that was kind of, you know, the, the first real drop was when people realized, oh, well... There's no way to actually play the game without just forking over more money while it's going to be a pot of wells fighting one another. So, that happened. Then, uh, uh, the price of cards just were, it was just astronomical. It was something like, what, uh, 300 some dollars uh, to get the entire set uh, on launch? Yeah, it was nearly 400 bucks to... To get the the whole set, and that's uh, before you even consider expansions, which mm-hmm. would fluctuate wildly because the Steam marketplace there was no 
set way to do things. And when the launch version had no way to generate cards, well, you're kind of screwed, right? Yeah. I mean, it literally paid a win. But like I said, they had, they were trying to build essentially Magic the Gathering as a trading card game. And it just didn't work for him. So the fact that they're, you know, l- learning this lesson, it, I think it really says a lot about Valve's uh, corporate structure or corporate culture. Yeah. Aside from the fact that they never assign real people to take care of anything that they should, <laughs> they do generally seem to have a pretty good handle on at least the public facing, you know, aspect yeah, of this. They, they will own up to mistakes they will say that they're going to improve, and sometimes they even make a little effort. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, the that's kind of the, also the flip side of, of Valve's corporate culture is that where it's so flat. Uh, sometimes you get a situation where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing, or that there is a left hand at all, mm-hmm. and then Gabe has to come in and lend a hand. Huh? Indeed, <laughs> he can he can lend me his hand at any point in time. Wink. Um, but yeah, yeah. I guess this is going to be just kind of a wait and see what they do. So I guess be back in twenty twenty four. Oh man, that's <laughs> you're you're lowballing it. I was thinking at least twenty thirty six. Well, let's get a valve time. Let's see, uh, valve time. September 30th, uh, 2013, November 16th, 2004, or sorry, uh, 2003 uh, to 2004, so yeah, a year. See, every three months, every few years <laughs> uh, for Half-Life episodes. Um, uh, early 2008, uh, late uh, summer 2008, early November 2008. November 18th, 2008. <laughs> Release of Left for Dead. Uh, let's see. Later this year, 2011. Then delayed to quarter one, 2012. July 9th, 2013. Dota 2. <laughs> so, yeah. But sometimes there's a reverse valve time. Occasionally. That list is a lot shorter. But Valve also has, yeah, well, for now, at least the ability to just print money so they could just sit and percolate on this for a while. And maybe they'll actually fix this. If they make it a living card game and get rid of the marketplace, I think that's a huge step forward. Or if they make it where the, you know, you don't have to buy the cards, (laughs) but you know, that's, but that's kind of getting away from what they originally wanted was something to essentially fuel the market. This was a. This is just really a case of Valve not learning from Diablo. I mean, we talked about Bioware wanting to learn from Diablo. Valve didn't learn from Diablo. With the the real marketplace, yep. or with with the marketplace, you mean? Yeah. I like the idea of a marketplace, but the, the it, problem you know, is that it's the uh, implementation it, has always suffered. Uh, the problem is that it impacts the core game loop. And it interferes with it. For Diablo, uh, they had it where they uh, had the loot system pretty much just go wild. So 
It was trying to fuel the market with just, okay, well, you're playing uh, this class. Well, you are have a smaller chance of getting good loot for it because the entire loot system was open. Because the idea behind it was, okay, well, if you didn't get loot for your character, you could sell what you got and buy something else. Well, isn't the entire point of a loot-based game to get neat stuff by drops? I mean, if they wanted to go uh, play Spreadsheet Simulator, Eva's uh, already been development for quite a while. Yeah. It's quite uh, quite a long ways down the development pipeline. It's been out for over 10 years now. But Artifact suffered the same fate that, you know, they had this neat idea of trying to assign real monetary value. And, well, we have it on the show notes, uh, kind of the flip side of this, where Hearthstone has gone absolutely hog wild with expansion packs, but also just retiring cards and, you know, that's money down the drain. Artifact was trying to fix that by having a monetary value so you could recoup some cards or some money from your cards, or even if you get lucky on a card draw, actually make money back because, oh, well, you got a duplicate of a very powerful rare. Well, you don't need the secondary one. In Hearthstone, you would just disenchant it for dust to make something else. Well, in this, if, you know, everything worked as Valve originally intended, you could sell it, get a little bit of Steam funds, you either buy more card packs and get something else, or go buy another game because it's in the Steam ecosystem. So, you know, that was the idea of things, but because they corrupted their core game loop by introducing the uh, you know, the marketplace, it just, people were so t- put off by it that it just never was going to work. That, and also, you once you enter money into the situation, you, things get paid a win, and yeah, people are turned off by that, at least for now. Oh, for a very long time, but uh, let's be perfectly honest here. Kids growing up with the bubble games, I think the days are numbered for when pay to win is going to be considered a dirty phrase. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to do my part to teach my son about real video games. Although he does play some mobile games. Although nothing that has, like, I mean, I screen all of those games. There's <laughs> nothing that has any microtransactions or a store or anything like that. Yet. But, yeah. Yet. Oh, well, that got depressing. It did. It did. But that's okay. Um, Are we ready to... Yeah, I think that's... To, to scoot, scoot on over to our next... Yep. Okie dokie. So, for Community Corner, we did not receive anything other than some very funny, poorly translated spam in our email inbox. Uh, but that's okay, because there's game night to talk about. We played Tabletop this previous week. We specifically played King of Tokyo, instead of just, you know, showing up and winding up playing Uno for like two hours. Which is not a bad thing, but it's good to go into these things with a plan. Uh, the intent is to play Tabletop again this coming week, but... Uh, we're going to be playing Flashpoint Fire Rescue, which is a cooperative game where that each of the players is a firefighter and you're trying to rescue people from a burning building and fight the fire. 
uh, Ghost Shark has got the most experience with this game. I believe we've played it once before, and he taught us all how to play. So the idea is that he will show up and sort of help refresh us on how to play. I did put a link to the uh, Steam uh, workshop. Was it the Steamworks workshop file? For it, so if you have tabletop and you want to check it out and familiarize yourself with it and the rules a little bit beforehand, you can do that. So we'll be doing that this coming week. Uh, we've talked about several different things for the next week. There's been a couple of other tabletop suggestions in Discord. Someone mentioned doing a Black Ops multiplayer night. And when I say someone, I mean Kyle. Doing Black Ops multiplayer one night, and depending on how many people showed up, either doing zombies or... Uh, he mentioned potentially doing 3v3 teams uh but we would just see uh i didn't hear any yays or nays on that from anybody else when that was mentioned so not quite sure on that but for next week the intent is to play flashpoint fire rescue uh and there will be a backup game for tabletop in case that does not happen uh maybe because not enough people show up to play it or ghost is unable to make it to help refresh us all but we'll have a backup tabletop simulator game I've got a few other cooperative games that are pretty easy to teach uh, that I've got sort of in reserve as a backup game. So we'll go with one of those. Probably, uh, ah, dang it, I forgot the name. Right off the top of my head. Secret Desert? Hidden Desert? Hidden Island? Forbidden. I, it's, a, it's a Forbidden Island. Yeah, it's a treasure, it's a cooperative treasure hunting game. And essentially, you are uh, trying to work together as a team, get all the treasure before the island sinks into the ocean. It's a fun little game. Pretty simple to learn how to play. So, yeah. Um, Did we have any tweets? I didn't check uh, out. No, there were no earlier. tweets. So if you wish to add to our tweet total and actually get it in the... Well, I guess technically it would still be positive, but yeah. And get it above zero, you could do so, BGL Podcast, on the Twitter or emails. And uh, we promise it won't go in the spam folder with all the, I think it's Chinese? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely... Uh, kanji. I, I don't know what the name is. Kanji? Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Chinese. Essentially, uh, Chinese uh, looks like a bunch of little houses. Gotcha. Uh, but we promise it won't go into the foreign uh, spam filter. We think. Unless you send us an email in Chinese. It's about wanting to be business partners and giving us lots of money. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah well, there's a different link if you want to give us a bunch of money. So, <laughs> uh, Discovery Q real quick. Yeah, let's do a Discovery Q. All right. Well, I already have my Discovery Q up and I got one I immediately. <laughs> But then again, I was kind of cheating because I was looking at my discovery queue, the links uh, or the thumbnails on it. And, you know, I saw this up immediately. Risk of Rain 2. A, well, a roguelike, which I would actually say roguelite, procedurally generated, uh, well, multiplayer platformer. Uh, the original Risk of Rain, I played a little bit of it, but uh, it just didn't really click for me, but the second one, they went full 3D. And actually, it has a very interesting art style. It's kind of a low-poly uh, 
art style on the characters, but the world isn't. And it has some sort of shading that I really can't place on the uh, all the uh, screenshots. It's uh, kind of like uh, the cell shading, only without the uh, uh, harsh outlines. It's very stylistic and very actually very pretty. But yeah, that's one to look out for. It's in early access right now. Have you got your queue up? Yeah, I, I went through a couple of crap games. And I'm looking at this trying to figure it out. I'll just paste the link in. Uh, it's called Willowbrook Post, story-based job management game. It says, take care of your parents' post office following their unexpected departure and return oh, to your papers, home in the quaint countryside village of Willowbrook. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Papers, please. Uh, I mean, it's not. I mean, that's not. Yeah, you know, condemning it, saying papers, please. It's kind of a shorthand. Yeah, looks like a lot of paperwork, checking, and making sure things are right. But also some management coming on. in. Yeah, it looks like there's a little bit of some sort of. I mean, there's some home stuff here. Maybe some sort of underlying story or an exploration of the town, perhaps. It's hard to say. But it looks neat. I mean, I, I'll, I'll have to say, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this. So, it's not all that expensive either. Either It's on a launch sale that lasts for ooh, 12, only 12 more hours. So, I guess that'll be done by the time we're done talking. Mm -hmm. But it's right now, it's only 7 bucks. It looks like it'll be 10 once the sale's over. Still not too expensive. Well, I got... My second game is also very interesting. Outward. Open world RPG meets survival game. Huh. Which we haven't actually okay. really seen, have we? Open world RPG meets survival. I mean, a full-on RPG. No, I don't think so. Uh, no. Planet Explorers had some mix. Well, here's a little blurb. But... No remarkable journey is achieved without great effort. Outward is an open world RPG where the cold of night or an infected wound can be as dangerous as a predator lurking in the dark. Explorer of the vast world of Arari uh, embark on memorable adventures alone or with your friends. So, open world RPG beats survival with co-op. It's published by Deep Silver. What's the pedigree on the developer, though? Looks like the developer is, like, a subsidiary, perhaps? So, definitely interesting. That uh, sounds interesting. It's fully out. It's a $40 game, though, so... Uh, yeah, it's a little much to bite off, uh, but... Uh, for, uh, yeah, a complete unknown, I should say. Yeah. But it, uh, I got another one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, interesting. I would say it's one to keep an eye on. Maybe wishlist and check it out later. Yeah. Um. So I got one that looks interesting. Landinar into the void. I'm just gonna read you the the first line of this. Imagine freelancer as a top down RPG. All right, I'm in. Yeah, I've, I have this on my wish list. I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure this popped up on my discovery queue before. If it, okay, if it did, I don't. This looks familiar. It, but... This looks too familiar. Yeah, but I mean, it, uh, open world space RPG. There's shipbuilding elements. Not the hugest fan of the top-down stuff, but hey, I can I can still dig it. 
Especially if they're comparing it to Freelancer. I'm in. How much is it? 16 bucks. Okay. That, that's a little out of impulse buy range for me. But I will uh, definitely huh. keep an eye on that one. Well, here's one that's definitely an impulse buy range, and this is interesting. Let me drop it in the show notes so you can take a look-see at this. It's called Unheard. I kind of like uh, the idea of uh, reading the little blurbs on this. What if you could hear the every word spoken at a crime scene? Acoustic detectives wanted for testing a new device. Return orally or uh, to uh, crime scenes and use the voices you hear to identify potential suspects and solve the mysteries. What is it that's connecting these seemingly unrelated and I'm, uh, it's cut off so I'm assuming crimes. So it's a mystery game where you hear everything and you have to try to piece together the story. It looks like it's a, uh, well, a translated game because there's a lot of yeah, the two screenshots are the same, are, are very similar, only different languages, but very interesting. Let's see, it's by Next Studios, who have done a couple uh, fairly decent games. I mean, nothing amazing, but yo, know, this is a five dollar game. So yeah, right. I mean, I, I would say that was an impulse buy range, especially if you like your mystery games. Like, mm. Some of this looks good and some of it does not. Stars End. Pop the link over right now. Stars End is a multiplayer sci fi survival game set hundreds of years in the future and a star system colonized by humans. Come and join us for crafting, construction, missions, and PvP on the wild frontier. It's got like a space cowboy feel to it. Not quite Firefly from the look of the screenshots. It doesn't quite look that gritty. Um, but, I mean, I'm a sucker for this kind of game. So, part of me is like, ooh. But then part of me is also like, oh, another one? So, I don't well, know. Well, eventually one of them has to be excellent, right? There's something very low rent about the models, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, if the gameplay's good, I wouldn't give a shit about that. I like, uh, they're using a it, lot of uh, pre-bought assets. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it looks like pre-bought assets, which is fine. You know, that's one of the things that they exist for. Yeah, I would say the gun is probably the big get a- giveaway on some of these. Yeah, it just looks like it's lacking too much detail. Uh-huh. That's what's making it feel so low rent. But also, you know, uh, some of the screenshots where they show a lot of interior. Oh, the the scene with the ca- the ca- the campfire one. Oh, just look how much low detail that is. All right. Where are you, campfire? There you are. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bode well. That is pretty. No. So you know, because of my own interests, I'll you know watch this a little bit. But. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, here's one for a certain someone out there. Imperado Room, the newest green strategy from Paradox Interactive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is there anything that needs to be said about this, right? I mean, it's a Roman uh, green strategy game, so yeah, that that is interesting. Let's see, it's 
when was the set in the centuries from Alexander's successor's empire in the east to the foundation of the Roman Empire. So pre-Roman, actually. So that's an interesting time frame. Build Rome in a day. Or in an afternoon. Or, or in several afternoons. Yeah. Alright, that's my whole queue done. I uh, got three games out of it. I'm I'm halfway through my queue. Okay. And I'm adding another one. Wolfenstein, Young Blood. I mean, anything need to be said there? I don't think so. I remember this from E3. It's the one with the sisters, right? I think so. See, Young Blood's the first modern. It's yeah. co-op though, so that's uh, an interesting twitch. Yeah, team up with a friend or play solo as one of BJ Blazkowicz's twin daughters and wield powerful arsenal of new weapons, gadgets, and abilities. Uh, makes me wonder what they're going to be named with BJ, right? As the father's name. Yeah. You think about that. Try to think of like. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, another interesting one immediately after it. See, this is what happens when you pollute your wish list. You get trash, I get treasures. Nova Drift. I got a few good ones. Nova Drift distills the, uh, the mechanical depth of an action RPG into classic arcade space combat. It looks interesting, doesn't it? Has a very neon-esque uh, feel to everything. Early access at $15 is probably a bit much, but it really depends on where they go with this. They're calling it a roguelite, so hey, they got the proper terminology. So a roguelite uh, space shooter. Yay, they did it. <laughs> Already 120 different modular upgrades uh, to progress and uh, expand arsenal. So there's some depth there, and they have a pretty decent looking roadmap going all the way through to the end of the year to next year. So, if the game uh, takes off, it look, uh, well, I'm not sure if it has to take off, but you know, it looks like they have a long planned dis- development cycle ahead of them. So, yeah, interesting. Let's see. What in the... Okay, I'm going to put this on here just because it looks weird. I'm not sure what this is, so... But no time to relax. No Time to Relax is a life simulation game where up to four players online or locally compete against each other in the ultimate game of life. And trains. There's trains. Trains are life. Well, when you live near a train track. Actually, trains are chugga chugga and woo woo. Maybe I should just give you my discovery cues from now on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still looking for their names, the sisters' names. I'm sure that they're around here somewhere. Okay, I think the train is gone. Essentially, this is a life sim board game uh, brought to PC. I'm not sure if if it's an actual physical board game or not. I haven't searched it yet, but uh, essentially it's just trying to screw over your friends and be more successful than them, which is interesting. I'm not sure how much depth is in it, but... It's early access title right at the $14 price tag. Let's see. Uh, fully playable and stable with all features in the about game section to have, have been implemented except for the PC player. So right now, if you don't have friends, well, you're screwed. 
But it looks like they're planning on adding AI. And they're going to be adding some randomization uh, for more long-term gameplay. So, yeah. Something to keep an eye on. Ooh. I hit Assassin's Creed 3, but it's rated mostly negative. What's going on here? Didn't they change something in it? Uh, in this, the update, they pulled something out of it. I don't remember. They changed something about it on the most recent update. And I'm not going to bother adding it, but yeah. <laughs> oh, right. oh. Their name. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Their names are Jessica and Sophia Blaskowitz. I saw this on uh, them talking about it on Crane Crowbar. Hypnospace Outlaw. Greetings, Enforcer, and thank you for enlisting in the Hypnospace uh, Space Patrol Department. As the world falls into slumber, Hypnospace becomes a bustling global village. These virtual streets aren't going to police themselves. Essentially, you're an internet sensor and you're browsing around this absolutely massive fake internet that uh, the game designers uh, created with little hidden stories and all sorts of neat things to find. And it's essentially a uh, a simulation of like circa late 90s, early 2000s internet. So a lot of crappy JPEGs and uh, GIFs and uh, weird humor. It's a very interesting looking game and I thought I wishlisted it, but I guess not. It's one of those games that looking at those screenshots does not do it justice. And I'm not sure if the trailer does it either. Looks like uh, the trailer is uh, a, like a 90s uh, infomercial. <laughs> but Gotcha. You're just looking at this like, what the fuck, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling it up. Oh. Oh, this game. Yeah. I've heard some people talk about this. This is supposed to be a, a really interesting game. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you play essentially an internet sensor or an internet uh, police officer with uh, essentially an entire fake internet to police. And there's uh, some stuff going on in the behind the scenes as well from what I understand. Yeah, it's very highly rated. Well, it's also yeah. I've heard a lot. Of it's ninety nine percent for three hundred eighteen user reviews. I mean, that says something. If you if this is a yeah an interesting kind of niche thing for you, like nineties uh, late nineties early two thousands internet with a story attached to it as well, I would say it's definitely worth a buy. It is a bit expensive for what it is, twenty bucks. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, maybe you should have done uh, another uh, Discovery Q. <laughs> maybe. I spent a while looking for their names, those girls' names, and I found them, but there's nothing like funny or jokey. You know, Jessica and Sophia. Maybe their real uh, name uh, makes an interesting uh, uh, thing. Steel Division 2. Yeah. A historically accurate World War II real time strategy game set on the Eastern Front. Features one-to-one scaled turn-based army management and real-time tactical battles with thousands of men on at your order. So, yes for you, <laughs> right? Quite possibly, definitely yes for Cube. He plays games like that all the time. Yeah, I 
don't know the Steel Division series. I mean, this is the second one in it, but a very interesting one. That's definitely one to keep an eye on. And last one for me. Uh, what in the world? Okay, this is weird enough. I have to add it. Why don't I just copy and paste my entire discovery queue next time, right? It'd be shorter. East Shade. You are a traveling painter exploring the island East Shade. Capture the world on canvas using your artist easel. Talk to inhabitants to learn about their lives, make friends, and help those in need. Visit cities, scale summits, unearth mysteries, and discover forgotten places. So, essentially a painter meet, a painting game meets just open world discovery game? Or a walking simulator? Yeah, it sounds like Ace Tag is exploration, relaxing, open world mm-hmm. atmospheric. Yeah, with the, the expanded ones. Beautiful, adventure, first-person, single-player, colorful, indie, casual, interactive fiction, uh, walking simulator, RPG. That is a really strange game. Let's see uh, one of the reviews. The, uh, the feel of a Bethesda game with its own unique identity and without combat. This is a bust own for anyone that wants a charming game with a unique atmosphere and interesting characters. The main problem so far is that there's a few bugs that could be, uh, such as falling through the map, that could break immersion. So, yeah, definitely a Bethesda game. <laughs> yeah, definitely a not for everyone, but if this is your jam, it's 25 bucks, but, you know, that's... There's not many games like this, so maybe you know, that would be worth it, but... I have to say that the game is fucking beautiful. Take a look at that uh, third-to-last screenshot. Or even, like, the last three. Yeah, those are some very beautiful stills. That's stunning. Now, the question is, how does it look uh, moving, right? Oh, those anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. Sweet. So, that's my cue. I, I think I skipped, like, two games in my entire queue. Yeah, you had ten show up on your thing. On your queue. Yeah, and I mentioned eleven of them, because I mentioned Assassin's Creed. So, yeah, um, I think I'm going to have a lot to choose from for the end of the year awards, huh? Yeah. Hey, you got a good, you, you caught a good one, though. That's good. I'm very happy for you, Rachel. <laughs> and I got a few. I'm always happy if I get two or three games out of a queue. I got three. I'm happy with that. All right, buddy. Well, why don't you uh, hit him with the socials? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me over on the YouTube, uh, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR, and maybe eventually you can find me on Twitch, Caffeine underscore Rage. And you have been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me over on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. Follow me on Twitter at JMA4707. And you can be my friend on Steam by sending your friend request to JR34707. Also want to give a quick shout out to a couple of people who have recently subbed to me on YouTube. I guess that's where you consume the podcast because that's the only thing that comes out on there. But hello, new YouTube subscribers. Welcome. Come join our Discord. That would be cool. Thanks. I love you. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is pancakes.
Mmm, pancakes. Mmm, pancakes. Uh, forbidden food for you now. Indeed, but now I want some. Well, that's uh, the plan for tomorrow's breakfast. And I, nothing really jumped out at me as a word uh, from my word list, so pancakes it is. I think pancakes with some Fair. maple syrup. Maybe uh, maybe some sliced uh, banana instead. Hmm. No. Maple syrup, butter. Oh, trust me. Uh, with how much I, with how much butter I put in my pancakes, you don't need butter. <laughs> I beg to differ. Challenge accepted. Oh, so you want me to kill you? Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, death by pancake. Yes, I can handle that death. <laughs> uh, well, what can I? Uh, well, what I can handle is also the end of show chatter. Once again, you can reach us at vglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming related topics, or just tweet them to us, vglpodcasts. Another link you should also check out is our Patreon, patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Our lovely patrons have paid for our website, vglpodcast.podbean.com, where you can find the show notes with pretty much my entire discovery queue, <laughs> uh, links to the articles we've discussed, and of course, links to all our stuff online, as well as our Discord. But if you're not interested in our RSS feed, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Cube music is doobly doo by the same artist. You can find work, you can find his work at incomputech.com and. As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. See you next time.